Hey there, Johnny Storm. This is Eniosh. Hey, Eniosh, this is Steven. Steven, Johnny Storm sounds very familiar, but I can't quite place it. Who is that? He should. This is a rare double cut, and there are two perfect reasons I chose it. I was going to make you guess, but if you can't get the first one, you'll never get the second. Johnny Storm, brother of Susan Storm, does that help? Of the Fantastic Four? Of the Fantastic Four. I thought it was, I mean, I remembered his name was Johnny, but I thought it was something other than Storm. Pretty Johnny sure. Blaze or something? Pretty sure it's Storm. Uh, yeah, no, no, you're right. That's his Johnny Storm. Okay, yeah, I'm just, uh, I just have a bad brain that doesn't remember things. Well, Blaze. Oh, Johnny, there, there's a Blaze character for sure. And I have to look up who that is. Oh, you know who you're thinking of? Nicolas Cage's character in uh, Ghost Rider. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. That might, that might have actually been Johnny Blaze. I forget his first name. I have just looked it up, and it is, and I read Fantastic Four and Ghost Rider comics at about the same frequency, which is to say I think I've read two of each, so <laughs> so there we go. Did you happen to see the early 2000s movie for the Fantastic Four? I have not seen any of them or the Ghost Rider movie, because I hear they're all bad. Ghost Rider is from that era of like perfect camp. It wasn't trying to be a good movie. If it, if it was, I don't think it did well, but if it was trying to be funny, it did a great job, so. Cool. Anyway, Fantastic Four. Uh the OG one from the 2000s. Johnny Storm was played by none other than Chris Evans, who plays Captain America. Uh-huh. And while June is on fire over and over, he says, oh. I can do this all day. Okay. Oh, man. Double cut then, like you said. That was that was the one. So, Well, that got us a, a good lead in to our, what, what the hell are we actually doing? This is our podcast. Not everything is a clue where you and I sit down every week to talk about Alexander Wales web serial worth the candle. Heck yeah, we do. Uh, we also appreciate it when people give us money to do this thing because money's always nice. We we I guess we don't have the call of money anymore because uh, we told it to go fuck itself. But nonetheless, we we wouldn't turn it down. Uh, we have a Patreon where you can give us some of that money. We also have uh, a link to Alexander Wales's Patreon where you can give him money as well. And we have links to Worth the Candle on Amazon where you can buy uh, a good chunk of it now. Uh, let's see. No, the second part isn't out yet, but part one at least you can buy. Part two is coming in a couple of weeks. They also have part one on Audible. There's there's lots of great things. And honestly, it's if you like this story, it's great to, at the very least, re- leave a review on Amazon because that helps, um, helps him spread the word. But uh, also purchasing it wouldn't be bad. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Cool. Oh, sorry. I was distracted. I'm playing with a new computer setup here and... Ordinarily, I would enthusiastically encourage people, yes, buy the book. Book two comes out uh, June 21st. So keep that in mind. I don't know if you said that because I wasn't listening. Sorry. Uh, I didn't mention the date, but I I did cover it. Yeah. Yay. Okay. Well, all right. We're in. I will stop goofing around. Excellent. Yeah. Make make your brand new computer stop being so shiny and distracting. I've got a new monitor on an arm and I'm adjusting it nonstop. So those things are so worth the money. They're amazing. Yeah. Now I'm just, I'm sitting here wondering if having gotten... I got two, a pair, and I've only got one plugged in because I've only got one set up. And now I'm wondering if the second one will be overkill. And I was like, oh, maybe I should have just gotten one big monitor. But nope, no going back. I'm already, hmm. I'm already in it. So having two is nice. Yeah, it'll be, I'll make it work. Yeah, you can switch back and forth between the two of them if you're working on two projects at once. Oh yeah, like I need the screen real estate just to have stuff open and that Google open over here. But um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, what are we? What are we really doing? Well, uh, well, before we start talking about the worth the candle chapters that we read, we should get some quick listener feedback from the uh, time period between last episode and this episode. Cool. Uh, this is from Shoefish. Shoefish actually had a number of points, but we cut it down to just addressing two of them for in the interest of time. Uh, Shoefish's point number four is uh, calling someone a bad DM because of one decision is simplistic. Things are a trade-off. 
uh, that was me, I think, who called uh, called the DM, whose name we still don't know, a bad DM because uh, June was getting bored. Uh, and then also I said June was being a bad DM when he wasn't letting the... When he just said, yes, your character does the theft just fine. You have the stuff instead of role-playing it. Uh, Shoefish says, when my players have a good plan that is below level, I fast-forward through it instead of pulling an unexpected challenge out of my nether regions because I think mm. it would harm the veracity of the world I created to schloss a challenge where none was supposed to exist and risks questions of why this complication didn't affect any previous point in the plot. But my campaigns are very localized, so everything is interconnected. I think that's a really good point, and uh, perhaps I should have been more charitable. Um, yeah, I've never DM'd. I can't imagine the idea. I, I have played a Dungeons and Dragons style game. I played a Pathfinder once and I think we annoyed the guy doing it. Not like on purpose, hmm. but we didn't, we clearly weren't doing what he hadn't planned. Right. And I don't know how you cope with that. So yeah, I'm not prepared to call anybody bad at this. Uh, I will analyze if June calls the DM bad or something at his job. Right. But, um, yeah, I think, I think that's a good point. Yeah. I was also heavily influenced by the fact that when I was reading uh, that chapter specifically, when he still had Call of Gold, and I think even the one after that, I read June as very over it and bored and done and just wanting to get off the ride. And that's generally a sign that the game is not going well. And I mean, that's partly the player's responsibility, but also partly the DMs. So I that is that was coloring my view of the DM as not being a great DM, at least at that moment as well. But, you know, maybe... Again, maybe I was wrong. Rushing to judgment. All is forgiven. Uh, thank you. Chew Fish also had a point. Point number six. I don't see exclusion zones as unfair punishment because they kind of work like classic stories or game sessions. Stories often have one-time gambits that are never repeated. This just gives a diegetic explanation to a common trope. I think that's a darned good point and is also a reason why I didn't mind the exclusions, really. Oh, okay. I see. Uh I'm trying to think. So I was trying to think of examples of like you show me something like that in a story. But you're right. Like it, it doesn't it doesn't come out and say it. But like I remember in whatever the Force Awakens episode seven of Star Wars. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Oh man, those are full of it. But please go on. Well, <laughs> the <laughs> I forget anyone's names. The the rebel people they fly a ship into the Empire 2.0 at the speed of light, right? Mm-hmm. And it dist- decimates their ship. And yeah. the the question then is begged, well, if any ship as mediocre as like anyone's little X-Wing or whatever, which I'm, you know, you can get at a parking garage, if that can go the speed of light and cause this jed- deadly damage, why is no one doing this all the time? Because that mm-hmm. would destroy Death Stars, probably planets. Uh, and the answer is meh. We didn't think of that. Uh, <laughs> One of the most annoying things about Star Trek specifically was the teleporter because it can solve almost any problem. And people are always like getting. So every now and then there'll be some incurable condition. And the only way the writers can get out of it is like, oh, thank goodness. We still have your uh, your pattern on, on file uh, in the buffer at the transporter. So we can teleport you back to how you were before you got sick with this. And then it's like, you you have immortality technology right there and you've always had it and no one ever uses it for anything except this one thing. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to completely forget about it after this episode. And that kind of thing happened a lot. And it just happens all sorts of times in every sort of media. Well, every sort of adventure media, I guess. It, there's constantly people getting out of scrapes through some awesome ingenious solution, which could now change the world if it was implemented, but everyone forgets it happened, existed. Yeah. So what what Shoefish is saying is that this is that, but rather than just like never doing it again, we just call out and be like, the reason we're not doing it again is because you can't. 
We just changed yes. the rules. Okay, cool. No, I can dig it. That's fun. Yeah, it's cool. Thumbs up for me. Yay. Well, Yay. this is the first recording we're doing during Pride Month. That is true. So in that spirit, I need to say that we're here, we're dear, get used to it. <laughs> okay. I felt so clever when I realized it was Pride Month and that was the slogan. You know, we missed that one week specifically so that we could get this chapter into Pride Month. You know, I was going to say in the spirit of like things keep lining up in real life with us reading this fucking thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, of course, it happens to be, you know, it would have still been. No, actually, we would have been a week early, huh? Yeah. Wow. Weird. It's some some DM is like pulling strings in our world to make things line up. It's kind of creepy. One of these days we'll, I don't know, take drugs and record the worst episode ever where we sit there and actually contemplate that possibility. But I that's mean, not I, today. I contemplate that possibility all the time, even when I'm not on drugs. I wouldn't know what it would mean for something to be in charge of the universe and have like you be as real as I am, right? Uh, what? I think I am as real as you are, aren't I? No, I agree. So that's why I think I don't oh, know. Okay. That's why I don't quite think it makes sense for me to like to for any interpretation of like, well, no, actually the, uh, the creator of the universe is lining things up for you, Stephen. That's why this happened on this day. I'm like, but I'm not the only person. Oh. Other stuff is happening. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess gotcha. you could line up a bunch of local things, but you and I interact too much for like, I don't know. It would have to involve a, a large level of fuckery and or like no free will whatsoever. And I'm not like a free will person, but I'm a, it doesn't, it, this would take away any sense of like volition, right? And well, sort of. Yeah, somewhat. I don't know. Like, I'm, I mean, I know that I have in the past struggled with a messianic complex, and I think I've mostly gotten over it, but it certainly colored a lot of my thinking for a long time. I think because I, I know we covered this in our um, simulation uh, episode of the Bayesian conspiracy, but like, if we are in a simulation, which Nick Bostrom at least argues is more likely than not, I at least think that I'm conscious. So the simulation is paying extra cycles to simulate my consciousness as opposed to, I don't know, the plebs down the street that I never see. So they don't need to be simulated. So why am I special? Uh, I guess I have to do something in my life at some point that I haven't done yet, which will make me special, which will make people want to simulate me in greater detail. So uh, something big is coming in my life and I got to be ready to live up for it. That, that kind of thinking, you know, I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying that this is a thing that I have wrestled with in the past. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. I think uh, for me, it's, I don't know. I, the, the other thing was like, oh, well, isn't that interesting? This this lined up as coincidence. So I'm like, if someone's orchestrating this, then they fucking suck. <laughs> and so like, they're, they're terrible. As, as You don't know people. what their motives are. I, I don't actually care. Mm. Right? Like, if if a parent, if all you heard was that they gouged their kid's eye out, eyes out with a fork, it doesn't matter what they're thinking, what their motives were. You know, barring exceptional circumstance like alien parasite infection. Um, yeah. If they're trying to teach them how to grow through adversity or overcome a challenge or whatever, like, no, they, they fucking suck, right? Well, maybe they're doing the things from the uh, Steve, Fe- Steve Fever short story where they're trying to recreate one person's life specifically in exact detail. So uh, they have to recreate all the bad things that happened to them as well. Is there a good reason to do that? To resurrect him is the reason that was given yeah. in the story. That's, that's kind of cool. I, I don't know if that I've had kind of that as good enough. But you know what? We're, uh, we're remarkably far afield or not having gotten into the first sentence the, of this week's readings. So, yeah, uh, I had a a thing to address right at the very top if you wanted to, even though it doesn't happen till near the end of the chapter. Yeah, sure. Sure. Okay. It's it's the elephant in the room or rather the uh, the deer in the room. Yeah. Uh, there's deer sex. 
Yeah. Uh, or or some kind of sex. The thing is, he fucks the locusts, which uh, I was disappointed by the first time when I read this. I was much less disappointed on my second read-through, which is interesting. Maybe because I knew it was coming, and so I was able to take it in the spirit that it was meant. I mean, I knew it was coming the whole time, right? That's because you're a dirty, dirty man. I was never this creatively dirty with it. It's not specified what species either of them are during their coital session right yeah well okay so it's not fair to say it's deer sex but it's sex with the locusts which i thought was not going to happen and i was disappointed that it did right no no i think what it is is that uh i think he said something about how they took like they they did it in both shapes or something yeah i think he or said there that. was shape shifting that yeah. happened during it or something like but that. but the point yeah. is is it doesn't specify that it was only deer on deer and humanoid on humanoid right it could have been like amoeba with amoeba too if they really wanted to no it could have been humanoid with deer I mean, it could have been that too. That, yeah. that, that's the part that even I didn't think it would get that weird, right? I, I <laughs> joked about curving a stepladder and, you know, getting that achievement. But that, that was that was always a joke, Inyash. No. Oh, really? Always. Okay. You saw it coming, so you really weren't disappointed by this at all in any way? No, I actually, yeah, I guess I should have asked why you were disappointed. I don't know. I kind of thought it would be dumb if you were to have sex with the locust, that it was more of a kind of a sort of a like, ha-ha reader you keep thinking he's gonna have sex with everyone but he's not because that's not that kind of story you can just have a locust and be friends with it and not fuck the locust just because there's an achievement you know and then he does fuck the locust and i was like oh that there's no reason for that but you know then when i read it again this time i was like oh okay that was that was actually kind of nice and i can almost even see a good reason for that so it made a lot more sense i think i was just married to the idea of june doesn't have to have sex with the locust duh and then he does. And I was like, oh, well, now I feel really stupid for having said he doesn't have to. Duh. Maybe I shouldn't have added the duh on there. So it wouldn't hit me so hard in the face at the end. What's funny is you, you were the one emphasizing, oh, no, there's, you know, harem stuff the whole time, too. And it's like, mm. I don't think it's a harem unless he's banging all of them. But I'm not an expert. There's funny components to it. Like he never on camera ascertains whether or not the, the humanoid shaped locust is sapient. Like the, the, the locust we're pretty sure is, but only mm-hmm. pretty sure. <laughs> right. Right. So, like, is it a drooling, untalking humanoid? Uh, Maybe. Like, and I keep saying humanoid because it's not Probably human. Not it's drooling. like nine feet tall with six eyes, which of course it is. Yeah. You know, it has to be gross. Um, <laughs> but the... It could be a very pretty nine feet tall, six-eyed lady. Eh, you lost me at six eyes. Um, <laughs> no, his reasoning was like, no, I just felt right. We were we were in a chill mood. And I think that's how he always is with the locusts. You know, just chill AF and that's where their heads were at. So, yeah, yeah I, I can get behind it. Okay. June goes and turns into a locust to try to connect with it, connect with the locust that way. And uh, he mentions that the clothes uh, are not affected by that. So he takes them off first. And that in a lot of times in stories, uh, the clothes just magically are also affected. And he said that it always kind of made me wince uh, because it was a concession to practical necessity that robbed the magic of some of its magic. And like, I disagreed with him on that. I think it's extra magical that way because like, the essence of magic is just something happens the way you want it to happen because you want it so damn hard, you know? It's, it's, that's, oh, I just had so much willpower. I need it so much. And then it happens like, oh, yes, that's, that's magic. So having it not applied to clothes, I think would make it less magical because then it brings in engineering and practicalities and like hard magic rules and stuff that are more like, you know, advanced tech rather than magic. Uh, and magic is just like, do what I want. And what I want is to turn into an animal and not have to, you know, be worried about my clothes are going to rip uh, or I'm going to end up naked or something like that. You know, I think that's why they don't have to strip when they transformed into sparrows and stuff when Solace was helping them fly. 
mm-hmm. uh, for exactly the reason you gave. But for the rest of Arab magic, everything does follow hard rules. And it so, does, but, you know, but like, I think that what, what skin magic, blood magic, bone combo magic am I going to do that also lets me keep my Nikes on? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I just think that that makes it less magical and more um, technological, uh, which is the opposite of what June thinks. So June is wrong, according to me. I, oh yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, he, <laughs> uh, to him, it's, you know, the magic is like, how scientific is it? How specific? Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess he would call druid, actually he does call, druid magic to him isn't magic, it's bullshit, right? <laughs> yes. So that, okay, he's he's at least consistent. The essence of magic is bullshittery. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but not in June's opinion. I guess not. Uh, anyway, so um that's i remember we talked about this so i had to bring it up uh he's able to turn it into a locust because they're in the domain and there's the degrees of reasonableness uh whatever buffer and i remember when we talked about it and you were like no he couldn't become a dragon and i'm like why not i think if he can become a locust which is scarcely an animal at all and he can become a human and a dwarf i feel like he could become a dragon but they would have needed to make they would have needed to bring the locust to the dragon i guess right or vice versa they wouldn't need to bring the dragon to Paran in that one little area. That's the locust's domain. Yeah. Oh, right. Because the June always being the domain didn't extend to the reasonablelessness, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah it would have been hard to drag Tommel all the way back here for the purpose right. of using the amulet on him, but it might've been worth the trip. I mean, it was worth, it'd probably be worth the effort if you could do it, but they were snatched out of the sky. So he didn't have much of a chance there. Oh, no, I mean, like, once he's down, before he cut his head off. Once he's down, drag him over to the Isle of Paran? Uh, yeah, it would have been hard. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm not saying it would have been easy. should have done it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Gotcha, okay. Doesn't he beat... Was he a gold mage when he beat uh, Parasev? Yes, he was. He, he probably could have used... became a gold mage so he could beat her. That's right. Yeah, I thought so. I feel like he could have used the tactile telekinesis to carry her back. There's probably a size limit, though. Otherwise gold mages be throwing mountains at each other right i mean he he didn't just like pick her up and throw her into a mountain so there must have been some limit hmm. okay well i'll quit complaining okay <laughs> because we got the best guy you have the new favorite character yeah we made the layman huzzah and he just he yells that he summons him and he a couple of few minutes later he just shows up <laughs> i love that he showed up late right <laughs> He's like, yeah, well, I, I'm not, I, I'm not just gonna come at your beck and call, dude. He just shows up. He's late. He's got a can of Mountain Dew, and mm-hmm. he's like, you had a. He makes a twirling motion with his fingers. A, a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and June's like, where are you from? Why are you late? And he's like, yeah, I got other things going on. If someone gives you a phone call and says there's something, you just drop everything. <laughs> nah, man, I'm not turning on a dime for you. That's not part of the deal. <laughs> he's like a dime. You're from Earth. Hey, look, if you don't have a real, you know, <laughs> he makes the gesture again, thing, then I'm going to bounce. <laughs> I love it. It's like, like, what? where'd you come from? Is that your question? Because that's not really what I'm about, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of your three wishes. <laughs> I love it. I think yeah. he's hilarious. He is great. He, at first, when I was reading this, I was like, is this, because the layman is supposed to be like the everyman kind of person, right? And I was like, is this a comment on like, what June thinks the average human muggle is like, kind of just disinterested and and no no patience, no focus. Maybe maybe it's what the DM thinks like the average Joe six pack is like. But like the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know what, this is probably just a tactic to keep June on focus, get his question in, and then had the layman leaves and there won't be like a whole story or anything or an entire chapter side arc. 
Yeah, I think that's probably it. Um, like if if he was interesting enough to engage on things, then we'd have to be like, oh, hold on. He's going to we need, you know, he would interrogate him, right? Mm-hmm. If he makes it straight up clear, he's not for that. And he can just turn around and, t- you know, disappear. Um, mm-hmm. He's going to do that instead. So uh, now I think uh, I I think he, he's the way he is because it lets him focus on just like the I have a rules dispute I'd like to make thing. And mm-hmm. uh, his his whole vibe is just very much Mr. Dice guy sense of humor, right? Yeah. Um, it, it would be like if June was at the table DMing, I could imagine them having this kind of concept of, well, let me, let me make an argument to a lay person. And then June puts on a different hat and he's like, okay, I'm, I'm the guy. Um, mm-hmm. the, the alternative is like if the reality above Arab is an actual tabletop game, this is just like somebody's brother, right? Yeah, that they pulled in from the other room. Exactly. Hey, get in here. Yeah. Someone wants to make an argument. That would be fucking epic. Yeah, he's remarkably patient for that. And he's going to like, you know, he's got a boss that he's going to complain to or whatever. Um, <laughs> right, so that doesn't quite guy. line up. But uh yeah, I, he was just, he was so funny and he doesn't take any shits. He's just, uh, <laughs> he's great. Yeah. 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 So yeah, he did mention that, that, uh, if, if you're just talking about stuff that doesn't need my input, I'm going to complain to the big guy. Uh, th- that's what you're referring to just now, right? Yeah. I, so who do you think, I guess we, we find out a little bit later on that June probably thinks the big guy is the DM, but I didn't at this first mention, I wasn't sure that it was, but it sort of lends credence to the idea that the DM is just like a member of a society, maybe some vast post-human one, maybe just some people in a bedroom calling in their brother from the other room, but that also the DM isn't even like all that all all that powerful within the greater outside of Arab society. Yeah, I I don't know why June had an idea that it was anyone else. Um, maybe I'm missing something, but it always felt like no, the big guy's you know the he's the guy you know. Mm-hmm. um he, he's the dm i didn't i guess i didn't know who else it could possibly have been uh i mean it could be like the the advisor of the grad student that is running the arab simulation and this guy's like you know what i'm just gonna go right over the dm and straight to his advisor yeah i suppose i that never occurred to me i i i assume the dm's at the top but that's just me um mm. I, I it's entirely possible i'm missing stuff though you i think you said in your notes that he's obviously from just out of frame and referring oh. to the layman, what what did you mean by that? Um, June asks if he's from Earth, and so mm-hmm. I, I jokingly was like, "Oh no, he's well, obviously, of course. Look at the can of soda he's carrying. It's not even just the dime reference; it's the um, you know the rest of it." But no, I, I uh, he he even just leaves frame, right? He just turns around and he's gone. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't doesn't puff a smoke. He doesn't uh, flash of light. He's just boom gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think just like how whatever. Um, the Davy Jones guy with the tentacle beard just happened just to show up. No, he just came from around the corner. He wasn't like waiting <laughs> nearby for weeks or whatever. No, but this guy, like explicitly, he just showed up like where June wasn't looking. Right? Yeah, yeah. So he he just lives off frame. Cool. I don't know if he goes anywhere. I I think we talked about this a long time ago when they talked about the idea of the the layman with the capital letters. That yeah, they just spin up an instance of this guy. All right, we need you know the whatever the reasonable uninformed uh well i guess somewhat informed because he knows all the stuff right mm-hmm. um but on you know, whatever like the unbiased character grab us a fresh npc right <laughs> i wonder if he's like mr me seeks where he doesn't like being spun up and he's like really you you spun me up just for this shit 
Let me go back to Oblivion. He gives that kind of eye, doesn't he? Yeah. Like he doesn't want to be here. Although he doesn't seem to hate his job. He just he just wants to do his job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like how just uh, one of June's ideas, because he's trying to ask, well, first off, this is actually kind of funny. June is like, well, I I think we should have some like freedom in how we do the, the locust stuff. And he's like, yeah, sure. And well, what 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 do you think we should be able to do? And he's like, that's not my department. Mm-hmm. You come to me with plans. I don't help you brainstorm. Um, yeah. And uh, um, oh, one of the things is like, oh, no, we transfer magic through the magic of having sex. And we have like kids, right? Transfer power that way. Which, A, there was no way that was going to work because Amaryllis didn't get any game layer stuff from Uther. But she's not the locust as well. Well, that's, I suppose that's true. And the druids are explicitly powered by sex magic. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, not just sex magic. It's a whole bunch of bullshittery. But, like, they're very nature, very fer- fertility cult. And Solus is constant, constantly like, okay, yeah, I need to get it on to recharge the, the magic batteries or something. At least I got that impression. Like, Solus is all about using the sex to power the magic or to power it up or something. I think we're reading different books. I don't recall one instance where she's ever hinted at that. Maybe I'm just mm. naive. Now, maybe she struck maybe me as I'm a hippie too much into it. who was like, you know, down to clown, but not like that she needed to for the magic juice. For some reason, I got the impression that it improved the magic juice, but now I can't think of specific instances. Maybe one of our readers will uh, be able to remember and drop us a link back to the chapter, but, um, but maybe it's just my own fantasy of, you know, what nature magic is like in other stories. That's what I was going to say is there, I think that might be one of the curses of being so like widely read is that the millions of pages, a couple, I don't know what you estimated at probably in the range of a million pages uh, of stuff you've read. Some of it's got to bleed together, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But anyway, so he's, he's throwing the idea around with the layman and he's like, so like, sure, maybe I could say that you could link with each other through the magic of having sex gross, by the way, but how does that change anything? (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I just like how he, his job is just to weigh in on the reasonableness, but he's not above weighing in on, Hey, you know, that that's, that's gross. (laughs) I made me laugh. We get along really well. Yeah. I, I could see the two of you guys really hitting it off. He also said, yeah, he said, that's kind of what we settled on, which makes me wonder again what the we is. Is it him talking with the DM or other laymen's or who this who is this we? Yeah, I have no idea. You know, maybe he ran off to go process the question or something, but that doesn't seem like he'd actually need that much time to do that. So I'm guessing it was mainly, well, I mean, I think he is the DM. I don't know. Maybe just to make June sit and think. Yeah, just to fuck with June, make him think that there's more than one person around. Yeah, that might be it. All right. Well, uh, he says, yeah, you're, it's a cool plan. You, you can you can transfer your power to the Locust if you want. And June's like, oh, cool. Cool, cool, cool. And so he turns to the Locust, and the Locust is just like staring at him. He's like, so uh, you can take some of my power, you know? <laughs> and the Locust is like, you're making monkey noises at me. <laughs> What's up, Holmes? And, and nothing's happening. And so June starts trying to contemplate what's going on, what's wrong with the Locust, why doesn't she take the power, what's uh, what's the whole deal here? And one of the things he gets to talking with the Locust is, look at Uther, the, the, he's thinking like, maybe the Locust wants to die. That uh, this is a story of, you have to just accept that sometimes people die and you can't do anything about it, uh, or, or some sort of other accepting death message. And he said, look at Uther, the way that the narrative just wouldn't end for him. The adventures that could never truly be brought to a close. It could be that's how you see your own life, especially in the wake of the Second Empire being shitbags and being constrained to the bottle. And I don't know, the prospect of expansion, which we've been taking Solus's word on, probably seems daunting or tiring or just not at all fun. 
he's doing a good job mentally modeling different versions of what's going on in the, in the doe's head. Mm-hmm. And now that I think about it, I don't quite actually know what he lands on that, like why it works or like how he oh, arrives think, at his solution. I think I know why, because that's the problem that I think the locust is facing and that maybe Uther was facing too, was just this general anhedonia where you don't find any sort of pleasure or joy in life and you don't entirely see why you should keep bothering. And for Uther at some point, it was just like, I want off this ride. I want to be done. And I guess the locust isn't quite there yet, but it also, she's like, why would I put forth extra effort? It just, it doesn't seem worth the effort, man. Just fuck off and and let me be here. And I think that is why I really love now how the chapter resolved and how the rest of the chapter went. That's why I pulled this out because it's, it's sort of that feeling that I assume everybody gets from time to time, but that really sucks if it just sticks with you for long periods of time. Yeah, no, I know. I know the feeling you're talking about. Well, that makes my sarcastic joke almost like kind of on the nose or like more accurate that the deer just needed to jog at an iPod nano to reach its full potential. <laughs> huh. It wasn't just jogging. It was jogging with a friend. Yeah, no, let, let's let's jump straight to that. Uh, we can talk about the, the gaming stuff later because the way they do resolve this in the end is that June sparks some joy in her again. He like gets her running and moving. She's chasing after him. He gets, she gets to see the world again and it's exhilarating to be running and feeling the wind through your fur. And then he starts like making music with their bodies, with the galloping and then starts singing uh, along to it. And the deer joins in and it's just this beautiful reinvigorating life is actually joyful kind of scene, which I really loved and because the locust is fucking magic like the animals around them start joining in too like an awesome disney movie you know where just the entire world is singing with you and it was really awesome and i really wish i could see it like in a movie or something because it would it would be a great sequence it bah it, it was just great but it uh you know that's that's what she needed she needed a reason to live again and he gave her that and uh and the way you put it, that the deer just needed a jog and an iPod Nano, it is a far less romantic way of putting it. But also, you know, if we're talking about real people in the real world, lots of times people do just need a fucking jog and an iPod Nano, and they don't realize that. And if somebody fucking forces them to go out and do it, they'll feel a lot better for at least a few hours. And if for some reason they can be forced into doing that every day for a few weeks, things might start turning around. Like, because humans are really simple animal monkey creatures that respond to bio stuff like that parts of us are really simple anim- animal monkey creatures and you're right man i keep telling myself i need to like set a proper cardio regimen and i never get around to it but eventually i will and should so um, yeah well not just cardio but also some of your favorite tunes and shit oh yeah that too i mean but really it's just i think that my lack of cardio exercise does impact like mood sleep and all that stuff mm, um, yeah but yeah, no, I mean, I, I can dig it. I think this, this reminds me of, I'm sure a scene like this was in Avatar. Uh, I can't think of one right off, but the one with the blue people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's I, probably. Yeah, there's, you know, running and jumping and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. where he came mm-hmm. came to feel his inner nature or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I bring that up because it was a visually stunning movie, even though the plot was like uh, uninspired. But um, yeah, it was. Yeah, sure. It was uninspired, but it was perfectly serviceable. Right. Yeah, serviceable. You know, it's it's a 
retold story for a reason, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And I mean, if you're being uncharitable, you know, give me an original story other than this, right? Um, <laughs> right. Like this, this is original as fuck, but, you know, <laughs> oh, Star Wars, you're going to call that original? What? Boy leaves home, boy becomes hero. Uh, whatever. Old, old, yeah. wise old wizard. Boy defeats evil empire. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, good point. Although, man, that the storyline from Avatar really is particularly cliche, right? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, but this isn't an Avatar analysis cast, so we can we can continue with the worth the candle analyzing. Works for me. That's a word now. Sure is. Uh, while they're doing this whole running around and singing and everything, uh, June just kind of like changes their his path once. So instead of going around the circle, he's cutting through it. And before before he goes for too long, because it's a pretty small area, he reaches the edge, heading head, head on into it, and he's just like, "Ah, oh, fuck it, let's go down out into Poran." And he says he like didn't really have a grand plan or anything. He was just like, yeah, there's there's all this music, there's Kendrick Long. I'm going down there, and like that kind of social improv is a lot of fun and a great feeling when you pull it off. And I haven't done anything like that in a long time. I partly blame the COVID, damn it. But yeah, it's it's just cool when you can do those sorts of things, and they manage to pay off. Is the sort of thing you're talking about like just you know, hey, let's go do this without thinking. Let's just, I've got an idea. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, and, and like, I, hey, you know, I'm about to do this thing right now for you, and uh, it works out, or, or yeah, that kind of stuff. Okay, I hear you. Yeah, no, that 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 is awesome. Um, I what I think what's funny, maybe this, you know, it can't be this easy because nothing with the dough is ever straightforward. Maybe that's part of the point. Like there'll never be a comprehensive explanation. But he's not trying to leave the domain right now. He it that's just true. it just kind of like oh let's go over this way. You know? That's a good point. Yeah, if he was trying and had planned this out, it would have never worked because that's that's anti-Druidy stuff. Right. Everything has to be kind of like off the cuff and heartfelt and and improvised. Yeah. So I think that's that might have been an ingredient to why this worked. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, it sounds corny, but I think that just like everything else in the, in the story, a lot of it will come down to, no, it's from the true power of friendship, right? Yeah. Like, he met the Druid where it's at. I was like, all right, I'm not going to try and get you to play a board game or read to you or whatever. Like, you want to just goof around? And it's like, fuck mm-hmm. yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when was the last time you got to goof around? And it's great because when they're done and they had this exhilarating, ex- wonderful experience and they're all kind of like tired and they flop down on the grass next to each other and they're full of happy chemicals and they're like, hey, hey, let's roll around. And then they start making out and getting it on. And it's just, it's very natural and, and feels very druidy, you know? Yeah, like I said, other than... You know, the height thing, you know, I, I can, I'm totally, I can get on board with, uh, even if it is death by snoo snoo, but <laughs> I guess he's pretty tall too. So, um, you did not think that the death by snoo snoo chicks were hot. Well, I mean, I never thought I'd die this way, but I'd always really hoped. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. That's, it's even better that he didn't die, but it's all the eyes. I, you know, it just has to be, um, maybe when she's a humanoid, they like blink in unison rather than out of order. And that would help. I feel like they only blinked out of order when he called it out. And that was only <laughs> like when, when it was doing it to fuck with him. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe it leaves one eye open all the time. Oh uh, boy. Gross. Well, <laughs> uh, anyway, Amarillo says, did you, and then she falters for a moment looking at him and she says, is there anything I need to know about? And he says, uh, well, I met the layman as a real physical person. He kind of hinted at a larger meta pantheon, so you might have changed your religious beliefs. And <laughs> this is before, like, she comes right out and asks if, you know, he and the deer hooked up. Um, and so I thought that's what she was going to ask. But then, no, it turns out, you know, well, then he just got to kind of, like, whammy her with, like, no, I'm re- ruining your religious foundation. 
Mm-hmm. And you, that probably didn't make the list. Just probably like, oh, I was wondering if you guys boned or if you caused an exclusion. But what you're you're you ruined my religion by possibly <laughs> discovering a pantheon. Come on, motherfucker. June just can't leave it alone. And she, you know, she's he's constantly surprising her in in new ways and ruining Arab for everyone. Now there's only one place in the world where you can go to have sex with locusts because he excluded it. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, only one way to find out. Oh, no, wait, exactly. he, didn't, he didn't get the achievement. You know what? He didn't get a uh, whatever exclusion, whatever new exclusion thing. But he- So we don't see that he got it, but I'm sure he... Oh, not new exclusion. I thought I was going to talk, say, um, the keys for Locke's achievement. No, I don't think there was an exclusion made. I, we were just fucking around here, right? Oh, yeah, but that was going to lead me into the serious thing that we don't get a quest update. We do... Well, achievement update, because it wasn't a quest. Just getting the locust out of the domain sure as hell was. Oh, that's true. We didn't even get a quest update for that. Yeah, that Why was, didn't we get a quest update? That was a huge quest. Yeah. I mean, maybe because whatever, completing the quest would be too logistical and follow the rules or whatever, but give me that XP. Maybe he completed it at the same time that he orgasmed, so it kind of like got lost in the whole mind-blowing part. Let's go with that. Okay. <laughs> then that's what I'm going to go with. I'm assuming the quest is done, but we'll keep yes. our eyes open. It would, it would have to be at this point because the they expanded her domain and we have like five new druids. Like, yeah, the, the quest is complete. The the locust is safe. The The world is expanding and seeing locust magic again. Yay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they do finally get around to Amarillo saying like, look, June, dude, I, I'm asking if you'll put your peepee in her. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We totally boned. And Amarillo is like, after after talking about that for a little bit, she's like, okay, so it, uh, it seemed casual. In a way that sex isn't for you. And June's like, yeah, I'm, I don't know. And uh, I don't I don't agree with either of them, really, because I don't think it was casual, really, like in the way that we think of casual, like casual hookup culture is like, it sounds to me like it was really intimate and beautiful sex. And when they mean casual or when they say casual, I think that what they mean is low stress and low stakes because it was low stress and low stakes for June. And that's what she's trying to gesture at. Cause normally sex for June is like this huge, all consuming thing. And it's, it's, it defines all these things of him. And is it dirty? Is it not dirty? Is it okay? And, and this was just like, you know, yeah, man, we were feeling good and, and we wanted to have sex and that's the way it rolled out. And I think, I think he's growing to accept human sexuality now, as opposed to being so, terrorized by it and i think that's good i'm glad to see that in him i wish i could do that better and uh that everyone could do that better i mean we we took some of the steam out of this reply that i had because we talked about it earlier but you had to specify human sexuality <laughs> I, well <laughs> for june it's human sexuality yes was it <laughs> <laughs> well he's a human and it's about his sexuality so even if it wasn't humanoid sex it was human sexuality well he was he was a deer you know he might have been a deer yeah maybe that's why she had to be nine feet I, you know it's not clear what all was going on there so we'll just leave that to someone else's imagination that link is staying blue for me um, okay but no yeah i mean it's uh i mean you know you didn't pull this out for this chapter either it clearly worked on relaxing him a bit because then he, he and Amarillo suck up um, yeah and it, you know i think it was actually nice well it was funny at first because she was like you know like right well, well here. she doesn't hook up this chapter it's in the later chapter because oh, i do it, pull it out it is later that's right yeah. um okay yeah because i was gonna say they're velocity mages and they didn't have time to do that yet so um 
velocity mage sex well no the funny thing was like she's like do you want to do it here like where they had just like finished whatever flash oh, running right. to and yeah. it's like where like this road in the middle of nowhere N- no and it's <laughs> like what if i you know like okay you, so the romantic moment for you isn't here in the dirt okay fine like i'll try to make it romantic um, oh maybe she was thinking that because he had sex with the locust outside in the dirt and she was like well he fucked the fucking locust but he still won't fuck me maybe it's an outside thing so she tried that you know i think all it really took was her Asking and saying, like, look, that well, well, we'll get there. Um, yeah. So we'll yeah. put a pin in it. But I'll point out that we need, hopefully, to get some update on the, the Locust quest because it's a companion quest. Oh, oh, shit. Yeah, it is. And those have the crazy perks. Like, Grack is the ultimate warder. Uh, I think Bethel. Oh, yeah. Bethel's companion quest perk was that she can consume Entads. Oh, that was a loyalty bump. What was her companion thing? Uh, I'll have to look into it. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, it was something pretty big. Oh, no. Her companion quest was the one where she could. Yeah, the devils couldn't jump in her anymore. She could eat them. No, that was uh, Val. Oh, no, you're right. That was Val. And I think. No, and that also might have been uh, her loyalty thing. Right, because we don't have a Val quest, do we? I don't think so. And the Bethel quest, we did have one. Oh, I think we completed it, though. Like, live in this house. So, I don't know. At some point, she got the ability to use Entads that she didn't have to eat. Yes. I think that was right. the big deal. Um or was that a loyalty one? God damn it. They're all getting kind of confused now. It's a long book. Um, I think the only companion quests we've seen completed are Amaryllis and Grack, though. I think you might be right. And the rest of them were just loyalties at critical points. Well, and then it's worth just keeping in mind like how insanely OP their perks were. Yeah. And I mean, I guess the druids might be like, I could make, or the locusts might be like, I, I can make new druids now. But that's not, it's not new or exciting, hmm. you know? Like, hey, that's great, but... Um, yeah, what what do I get out of it, man? Well, or like, what what can you do now that nothing has ever done before, right? Right. It's like locusts have done locust stuff, but it would be just like the locust to like have this thing stay in the box, right? <laughs> no, no, I'm going to color inside <laughs> the, the lines this one time. The locust perk could be you do not get a perk because fuck you, this is bullshit. I surprised you. Uh huh. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I don't follow the rules, fucker. Well, speaking right. of, they, they do the same thing for Runination. Yes, which is the most rule-heavy magic in existence. And they uh, they don't follow the rules, though, getting in, because all it takes is gobs and gobs of money, which they still have tons of, even though they left a pallet full on the moon. Yeah, he gets to be apprenticed to a guy named possibly Cho. Oh, I went with Zo, but yeah, XO. Um, anyone's guess on that? Yeah, it could be yeah something that we have no idea how to pronounce, because it's... You're right, I've definitely seen... Chi spelled with an X before. Yeah. Whenever I see X in a foreign name, I usually assume it's a ch kind of sound. But isn't Xena spelled with an X? No. Yes. Yes, it is, actually. Well, yeah. heck. We'll just we'll just switch back and forth. People will love okay. inconsistency. So it's either sure. Zo or Cho. Works for me. Okay. But uh, yeah, Cho, another one of these people that is just like really cool and that could be a dominee for our new best friend slash favorite character type person. For real. Do uh, we have another companion slot open? I know, right? I don't think they free up when the previous one dies. I think they're just lost. So, so we've got Amaryllis, Bethel, Val, Crack, the Locusts, and I know which one I'm um, missing. Raven. Raven. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Fen would have been seven, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Very well. <laughs> but yeah, Cho, who's just like the coolest dude. And he's like, uh, when June is like, you, you don't know who I am? Uh, and he's like, no, I don't like hearing life stories. Not unless I get to share mine too. We all go on long and winding roads, right? None more special than any other in the end. And I really, 
really like that point of view and I kind of agree with it, but I'm also not sure. Is he right about this? That everyone's life has a long winding journey and none of them are necessarily really more special than the other. Are they? Cause everyone's life is, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Um, the way he means it, I think he's absolutely right. You know, I think some, some lives are more important than others. Um, you know, I, I didn't found a country or something. Right. Um, yeah. yet growth mindset, right. Um, Damn straight. but, uh, you know, is, was, I don't know, um, George Washington's life more special than mine? No, man, forget that. They're all special. You know, I, I could dig his like laid backness. Um, that's the thing I, I don't know. Like, I kind of feel like some people's lives are more special. Like, uh, what was that? Hamilton, an amazing musical they made recently that, uh, you, you think like you compare Hamilton to like some dude that, that worked uh, as a cobbler at the same time and fought in the the Revolutionary Army and then went back to cobbling afterwards. Like he's also got a very special life, but it's not. It's a different kind of special. But then also, I was thinking, if you took the cobbler's entire life, picked out the ninety minutes of it that were the most fucking epic, and made him into a musical, that'd probably be pretty goddamn cool story as well. That's a really good way to think about it. Um, yeah, I mean. It wouldn't be the same scope of story, you know, yeah. uh, it would involve dueling with another president, but it would be, <laughs> uh, it, it would be its own amazing thing. No, that's, chill, that's, that's dope. Um, I mean, the special is one of those words that is hard to operationalize and therefore hard to talk about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, this, this guy is awesome. He's wizardy as all heck. Uh, you know, I think he's wearing robes and long beard. Uh, mm-hmm. he's completely unflappable. Mm-hmm. And June's like kind of fragile ego about like, seriously, don't know who I am. <laughs> he asks a few times. He's just mm-hmm. like, no, man, I don't watch the news. Like, <laughs> you, Yeah, he, he, this is a great character. Yeah, I love him. He's kind of reminding me of some of the like old, almost comedic style wizards from uh, from like 80s, 90s pulp fantasy. Uh, like I'm thinking maybe Fizbin or uh, Erasmus from the Quest for Glory series. But yeah, I'm not sure because they, they 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 always had a more 20th century sort of vibe to them. Almost like they were, you know, the author winking at the audience. But they, they were straight up, you know, wizard's robes and hat and all that long beard. I don't know. I, I like this character. Yeah, he's fun. I mean, the only wizards I have any real familiarity with are Gandalf and Dumbledore. Right. Uh, yeah. And they both kind of fit this vibe, right? Totally, but they were not. I don't think they were quite as um super chill as he is. Yeah, I mean, other than like their couple of berserk buttons, though, they were right. You know, even Dumbledore was pretty chill when it's like, oh yeah, Voldemort's back. Yeah, I thought I saw this coming. Like, I yeah, but they're chill in a different way. Yeah, no, they're you're not right. like a yeah. This, I don't watch the news, man. Kind of chill, right? Whereas Dumbledore and and Gandalf absolutely watch the news and Gandalf kicks <laughs> yes. himself in the face for not having read the news for 60 years when he was yeah. like, I wonder about that magic ring. Now think about it later. <laughs> right. Is this making Bilbo immortal? Man, I'll think about it in you know, another 15 years. And <laughs> I got some wizard pipe weed. I want to go hit up. Right. Oh, it's that kind of story, huh? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but yeah, they uh, they so they go into this Rune Forge thing, which is a really awesome kind of place, in my opinion. It has a lot of hostile architecture. Says uh, June says there were lots of reasons to design a place that was hospital to certain people or activities, which just reminded me how fucking crazy it was how long the open office fad lasted, since it was creating a hostile environment for office work. And it was supposed to be for office workers. It was just the most stupid ass backwards thing. Yeah, it's interesting um, because, well, first of all, I'm trying to figure out what the thing is called, but since I can't remember, I have no idea what to Google. I feel like there was a thing in Yu-Gi-Oh! where it was like a pyramid-style thing that had this weird architecture, but without knowing anything to Google other than Yu-Gi-Oh!, I can't find it, which that makes sense. Um, yeah, the, I mean, so like there's there's cold spots, there's hot spots, there's uh, sharp spots. There's smooth, you know, slippery spots. Like this, this thing is just designed to be, uh, like torture basically. Maximally uh, hostile without actually being unoperable. Right. Right. Like June says it could be just a total vacuum inside or filled with poison gas, but it's not that it's just extremely uncomfortable and kind of painful. <laughs> yeah. And I, I loved your, like the open office thing. Cause that, <laughs> right? that was the last time I went to an office was, years and years ago and uh i don't know if my current company they have most of most of their team is out in uh the detroit area so they do have an office that they can go to but i don't know the layout i imagine it's an open office you know it's young hip people startup um but in some aspects that part's cool if you want to get your job done it's not really Um, yes it's great for socialization yeah and a great like you know Oh, I'm too busy socializing. It's too easy to socialize to do my job. This is awesome. <laughs> if that's what you want. But yeah, my, my current office doesn't get much more closed than this. So uh, <laughs> your own room upstairs. Yeah, I'm a thousand miles from my nearest coworker. Uh, awesome. Seriously? The CTO is in my time zone, but he's in Utah. Yes. I mean, other than that, everyone else is on the East Coast. One guy's in Poland. He just started last week. Oh, sweet. Poland's the best nation. How do you say the L with like the, the dash through it? That's a W. Okay. Gotcha. Then I will correctly know his pronounce his name next time I see him. The funny thing about him being on in, po- in Poland is that we share like maybe an hour and a half of of time on the job together during the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, East Coast people they get a couple more hours, but you know over here I'm I'll I'll see him. I'm assuming an hour every two weeks. <laughs> yeah. All right, well then you'll be able to surprise him next time though. Yay! So here's the thing that I thought was surprising and hilarious. Uh, there's various tiers of rune workers, like anything else, I guess. And one of the most powerful tiers is something known as a rules lawyer on Arab, which is fucking perfect. Yeah, June, I think throws that out as a joke, right? Mm-hmm. And it well, just happens to be right. I mean, I think at this point, he knows, he knew that like this would be a joke, but also would be right. So he said it in seriousness, but knowing that it was a joke. <laughs> rules lawyer. <laughs> It's outstanding. Uh, mm. The the Raymer is strong with this branch of magic. Yes, um, it's funny. So he's he tells uh, Zo Cho that he's like, "No, nah, we'll be fine." Um, uh, I'm not sure whatever brief you got, but I'm already a mage. And oh no, shit! Like just very you know Cheech and Chong vibe, mm-hmm. um, sounding much less like a wizard than he looked. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine Gandalf. Oh no, shit! No way, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> maybe it is uh joe that says like chong could be um but anyway so uh he lists off like the 10 things he can do and he's just like yeah neat 
<laughs> I mean, you, cool, man. You, you could at least pretend to be impressed. Eh, I charge extra for pretending to be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's great. I mean, he doesn't, he seems not legitimately impressed. I mean, maybe he just doesn't care, but yeah. he's just, he's just, again, totally unflappable. Right. Uh, maybe like he doesn't believe his life is special. That's that's the special part in your life. Yeah. The special thing is you're gonna be God and whatever. And you know what? I'm I'm <laughs> right. I got a cool job here, man. Yeah. Yeah. My special thing is that I don't let things get to me down. I, I don't I stay away from the news. Too much sensationalism these days, and if not that, then too much talk about dire circumstances on the horizon. I'm happy you're not listening. I think, especially since there's not a wit I can do about any of it. Um I'm sorry, that that was red wrong, but I'm happier for not listening, I think, especially since not a wit I can do about any of it. And for a long time, I basically avoided the news. That's that's not true. I never completely avoided the news because that's just not my upbringing, man. But for a long time, I tried to limit my news as much as possible. And then I got suckered into a news podcast. So <laughs> Wes has destroyed my life again. Thanks, Wes. <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, this, this dude is my hero. M- much, much more people should embrace this sort of I don't bother with things that don't affect my life and that i can't affect anyway so uh why why do that to myself you know i mean the mind killer is probably in the sounds like i'm just jokingly shilling for it but i think it is my primary source of main news mm. like i oh no i guess my my wife is you know you know online uh, yeah <laughs> she she told me for example uh i mean good god I, I think it was a few days in before I'd heard about, oh, Russia's you know invaded Ukraine, which so it does oh. lead to some embarrassing moments. Um, but I basically do this. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have heard about the Roe v. Wade thing until your guys' show unless my wife had mentioned it. Um, I happened to be like, you know, at work, I'll put on YouTube to put in the background for music. And as I was selecting a new song on Friday last week, that's how I heard about the shooting. Um, mm. But I would have missed it. You know? I mean, I guess like, that's the I, thing. I'm not, like, like, I don't even check the news on, on Reddit or anything. Yeah, if you go seeking out the news, you'll hear it sooner, but you're just going to make yourself miserable. And anything that's important enough, you're going to get anyway. You can't avoid the important things like Russia invading Ukraine or Roe v. Wade or whatever. It's going to trickle down to you as long as you interact with humans. This took a while for me to, to learn. I, I remember for the first couple of years of the Trump presidency, I felt compelled to make myself miserable by like keeping up on what was going on mm. and i felt like a lot of people felt this way there was some good comedy about it um but i had remarked at a meetup that this was stressing me out I'm like how are you guys not worked up about this and i think it was matt who pointed out that he's like you know you can you, you can't do anything about it and it doesn't actually impact you like mm-hmm. and but not in a way that you know came off the least bit condescending it was just like matter of the fact and mm-hmm. as i i gave that some thought and I, it's like you know what that's that's actually a hundred percent true. Like, you know, for a while I can, you know, kind of, I can see an argument against that. Like, Oh no, I, you know, I need to be informed. Hey, it's my responsibility to be miserable because, uh, I should be stressed out because things suck or whatever. Right. But that's not mm-hmm. a good mm, reasoning for anything. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, like there's nothing coming down from the white house that's going to impact my life that I'm not going to hear about, you know, if I'm not whatever checking Twitter or something. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't know if we go to war, I'm sure I'll hear about it from a coworker or something. Right. Yeah. So like, I basically do fine. I, uh, I, th- I think this is the, it, I would, I would extend this as long as I'm on the point to like a lot of people's strongly held political beliefs are in the same vein. 
mm-hmm. that like they don't actually impact anything that you'll ever do or see. Yes. Like just take the average person's position on immigration. Right. Like most of us don't live near a border mm-hmm. um, with another, with another country. And mm-hmm. so like what it will do is impact my decision every few years when it makes it around to the ballot box or something. And I'll, yeah. I'll make my, 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 I'll check the right box at that point. But like, you know, it's like people get into arguments about this and it's, I don't know. I don't know. Some people probably have experience. I don't know, but maybe I'm just, I'm a, a wise old wizard for my, for my age, but no, nah, man, you just take, take a chill and not worry about it. Yeah. Uh, so it's, sorry. It's not worth it. Yeah. It turns out it gets you very little, you know, yeah. find one or two sources that are fun to ingest for news. And, uh, I like that you guys have, you know, the regular news, which is usually miserable. And then mm-hmm. the happy news section, which is important. Yes. That when that I was my contribution. I was like, I can join this podcast, but I want to have at least a happy news section at the end of every one, because otherwise it's just going to be misery forever. Well, well done. It absolutely balances out the show. Oh, um, cool. Oh, yeah. It wouldn't be. I, I don't know if I had to listen to it without that. Like, uh, I need the positive a little. And, just, you know, it can be fun little things. Uh when I'm, I'm barely on Reddit anymore, but, but it used to, I used to have like, um, what uplifting news or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they're often like small local stories, but they're all cute and, you know, happy. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, good things happen. Mm-hmm. Something good happened. Like, it's just nice to get those reminders. You don't, you don't see that like on what, what, you know, Zoe qu- points out too much sensationalism, talk about dire circumstances on the horizon. Like, yeah, but, yeah. but also like this little girl made $3,000 selling lemonade. Isn't that awesome? Like yeah. little things, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so it's, it's unclear what June's working on in here. Um, I think he's trying to, I think his plan is to harness a nuke uh, to shoot out later, but I'm not sure. Um, I don't know if I missed a, an explanation of what he's actually doing. It's some sort of power harnesser slash uh, distributor. Yeah. We don't, we don't ever get a full explanation I thought it sounded more like a defensive thing. Like if he's hit with a nuke, it would stop. I guess nukes don't work, but something equivalent to a nuke because uh, when they're talking about what to do with all this power and June's like, yeah, I'm redirecting it as light. Like light doesn't feel like something you can put in a battery. Well, this is magic though. That's true. Yeah. And they, they talked about in the Cypress timeline that uh, Amaryllis apparently made, um, used rune magic to make antimatter weapons. And I forgot about that. Yeah, that was awesome. And then he's thinking like, well, if we take that and like my power harvesting thing or something like that, we can make a positive feedback loop and destroy the world. Um, mm-hmm. So if he has a spare weekend, he can, you know, annihilate air that way. Yeah. Finally put an end to the suffering. Right. <laughs> I'm assuming Although I guess the hell work on hell. Yeah. But uh, maybe you could walk yeah. into hell and turn this thing on. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, is that basically it with this guy? Um, I, that's mostly it. Yeah. yeah. Well, high five. I hope he comes back, but. He probably won't, but he's going to go off and have his own awesome adventure. So, right. Yeah. And so, uh, they go and they get velocity magic for June, which is really pretty simple and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and sort of an anticlimax, not even that cause nothing built up to it. It was just like, yep, you're, you, you got velocity magic now. It's actually kind of awesome though. Cause we, we speculated like, oh, you've got to go faster than previous velocity pages. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's all kinds of caveats cause they, but they would have to be, um, and like June says, it was funny because I could see the dungeon master's I could see the dungeon master's mind at work behind all these uh, caveats, desperately trying to close loopholes. Um, mm. 
you know, distance over time is velocity. Well, if you teleport, then suddenly the the speed is infinite. And it's okay, well, no, not teleporting then. You have to go fast for a while. Uh, things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we thought about like, how do you go really fast? And no, they just have a little roller coaster that they crank the speed up a little bit every time someone wants to become a velocity mage. And it just no, costs no. a bucket of money, right? Uh, I think they have, because that, that would like kill people with G-forces. They have a... Uh a hole that they drop you down into that's completely um, vacuumed out. So there's no terminal velocity and you just go until you uh, have accelerated enough oh, to, to beat the last one. Yeah, that's right. The second empire used the rocket sleds. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. God, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So yeah, they, I mean, I don't think Uther was trying to become a velocity mage jumping in that hole. Plus that was 500 years ago when the speed was probably slower, um, mm-hmm. but you and know. also he breached terminal velocity because it, it had air in it and he didn't use some kind of getting rid of friction magic. I mean, there was air for the first dozens of miles, probably. Who knows what went, what went on deeper down? No, that's, if it, that's true. If it, was a, if it was a planet and not a plane, then gravity and density would go up as he got further in. Um, yes, but, but on a plane, who knows? Covered that that doesn't happen yeah. Yeah, on air. <laughs> that it literally goes on forever. I think when they learn about the other side... And uh, June or someone brings up the the boundless pit. They're like, wouldn't it just come out the other side? And they're like, no, the boundless pit specifically goes on forever because of bullshit. That's like, you know, one of, that's exactly the thing that would have happened at the tabletop game, right? No, mm-hmm. this is a pit that goes on forever. Well, th- how's that work? Fuck you, that's how, right? <laughs> exactly. You mean it doesn't come out the other side? What other side? It goes on forever. <laughs> they can just throw all so the world's he- garbage in it. So he becomes a velocity mage and they both have velocity magic. And he's like, cool. You want to spar now that, you know, we have this cool new power. And she's like, you could beat me. You would beat the living crap out of me. But uh, if you want someone to beat the living crap out of, I'm here for you. And Jin's like, gross, not my cup of tea. And she's like, I don't know, no judgment, man. I just continue to admire the heck out of Amaryllis because she is so there for June that she's just like, I, I would get, you could beat me up if that's what it's, what, what you would want to do. And I mean, I guess, I guess we already kind of knew that because she was willing to get fucked uh, way back in chapter one, even though she doesn't like that, but uh, getting fucked isn't quite the same as getting beaten up. And, uh, and still she was willing to do that for him. So that's, uh, that's interesting. I I, I want to make sure we draw a big sharp distinction between those two things. You know, she was willing to let June lick her elbow for 20 minutes, (laughs) you know, which is was her, her equivalent of it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Weird. I guess. Tell me when you're done. Um, All right. But Whereas not, being beaten yeah, to a pulp is very different. There, there's no like this is like a meh thing for me. It just universally sucks. Um, what? <laughs> Although June did do that for her that one time when she had the rage affliction, he right. let her beat the living shit out of him. That that was the only thing I could think of. Is like yeah, so she was afflicted with a mental curse that mm-hmm. gave her this rage thing, and so that that I agree with him. Like gross, not my cup of tea. Like I'm glad that she's there for him or whatever. But mm-hmm. no, nah, yeah, people don't want to do that, especially not to their romantic partners. Like, it'd be one thing if, you know, my wife was like training martial artist and was like, can I spar? I want to work off some steam. That'd be one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but if she's if she's like, I want to beat the shit out of you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, no, sorry. Yeah. You're great, but I don't think so. Like, right. Yeah, it's, that's not your thing. But I mean, there's some people for if they'd love someone enough, they would be like, yeah, you know what? Please beat the shit out of me. <laughs> See, I, I don't want to say it that way, though, because it. I love her as I think more than anyone loves anybody. My love is special and you know, but way better than anyone else's. Um, right. But uh, just like everyone else feels, but I don't think it's a matter of how much it's just a matter of like, I, I don't think that I think if she were to ask me that she wouldn't be the same person I thought that she was. 
Yeah. Right? You wouldn't have fallen in love in the first place if she was that kind of person. Yeah. And actually, June kind of, he goes kind of straight there. He's like, is this about me and the locusts? And she says, yeah, kind of. Made me question how much I actually know you, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, don't overthink it. You know, that's what I'm trying to do. Um, and she just runs right into it. And she's like, what will it take for you to have sex with me? And he's like, whoa, uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, and so it, to me, it kind of caught me out of left field. I thought she was kind of just like surprised and confused, mm-hmm. but then it's clear that she's kind of feeling left out. And it's weird yeah. because like their, their issue wasn't that like he found her repugnant, right? Yeah. It was kind of the exact opposite. And the fact that she wasn't into it. Yeah. The second she's like, look, just do it. And he's like, Oh, go, you got it. Um, if you say it's, so. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know. It's, I, I think she was just like, he's doing it to everyone else. Why won't he do it to me? Kind of thing. And like, she already knows why he won't do it to her because she doesn't like it. Well, she said she, it, this is, we, we get there. I, I, yeah, we'll funny. get, but they get there in a yeah. sec. Yeah. But, but yeah, that it, was the it, reason, right? It's like, well, you didn't want to. Everyone else asked if I wanted to. Yeah. Or everyone else was into suggested it. Suggested it with their, you know, drooling mouth agape doe face. Um, oh my God. Or, or doe <laughs> Just making it the least the romantic thing I've ever heard of. You know, unless we see the doe as a human that can talk, I'm going to be, uh, concerned forever that he never had informed consent and that this might actually just be an animal level intelligence. And, uh, you know, we didn't sign up for no bestiality. Uh, I mean, it, it's, isn't if the, if the locust is in a humanoid female form and turns to you and is clearly like wanting to get it on, that's consent, right? Well, that's, that's what I want to have clarified. You know, I guess, yeah, it doesn't have to be able to talk to start, you know, tugging his pants off or something. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, fine. I, you know, I, I the, this the, wasn't the, other the thing, thing where he like, he took advantage of a retarded doe. He, he, <laughs> he was, they, they were obviously having a moment together and the doe wanted it too. Oh, hundred percent. It was like, let's don't, do this. Don't get me wrong. That's my read on it. And that's, that's obviously what happened. I'm, I'm being tongue in cheek about it and pretending like I'm concerned about that. Cause like I, what I, I really want is time on camera with the talking human doe. Uh, but I guess she'll be coming to the fell seat exclusion. If she doesn't talk, is that a problem? Well, I want to see what she has to say. I've been curious this whole time. Yeah, but like, what if she just doesn't talk? What if she's one of those, you know, magical manic pixie dream girls, except also kind of mute because she's nature girl? I mean, you know, it's, uh, I feel like you're trying to set me up so I'm not disappointed when she can't talk. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) no, no, you're, you're, I am not doing that. I'm just exploring. No, you're good. Okay. Um, No, I mean, it, it wouldn't like ruin the story or take me out of it or anything it's more just like i am curious i've always been curious what's been going on in his head right mm. until yeah. like get an answer to that would be great now it would actually be super in character for us to have to never get uh closure on that you know mm-hmm. it's like well no i'm i'm probably super sapient in here but you'll never know <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I suppose we'll see um why did I make a joke about that? Oh, because yeah, Amaryllis. And yeah, the point is, is, you know, why won't, what will it take? It's like, it'll take you seeming like you actually want to. Yeah. You know, like she was, when they almost did it before, she was like, I won't stop you. And it's like that, 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 ex- that noise exactly, right? No, <laughs> yeah. no, nothing, nothing pulls the emergency brake other than stop. Nothing pulls the emergency brake harder than that, right? Yeah. And so, like, that, that's not. <laughs> Come on, Amarillo, that's not sexy. <laughs> no, not even a little bit. 
Yeah, and it almost seems like she thinks that this is a piece of him that other people are getting and she doesn't. So she's like, it feels like I'm missing a piece of having a relationship with you. And it's because you're being timid with me. She doesn't want to be in a relationship where they're holding back because they're worried about inconveniencing or upsetting the other person. She just wants to try it anyway. And um, I I think this is great life advice from Amaryllis because I have spent a lot of time in relationships not doing things because I think they would inconvenience the other person or, or just be slightly awkward or something. And it always turned out to be absolutely awful thing to do, sometimes ruin stuff. And 95% of the time, which is why I've started doing it more often, when I actually just come out and be like, hey, here's the thing I'd like to do, the other person's like, yeah, okay, cool, great, let, let's do that. And like, I, I don't even mean sex stuff. I just mean like, you know, well, I, I know you're not into this particular style of music or whatever, but this band is coming and I want to go see them. And my partner's like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it. I'm like, what the? I was so worried about inconveniencing them and tying myself up in knots for days and everything. And it turned out to be something they enjoyed too, just because it was something I enjoyed and they were coming with me. Like, what the hell, man? I'm stupid. Good advice from Amy. Don't don't hold back because you're worried about inconveniencing someone. I agree with almost everything you said, except for the part where you said I'm stupid. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think that uh, it that's a hard thing to get in. And I think it's partly because, you know, the like you're inconveniencing people is a thing that many of us have ingrained into us. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. you have to train yourself out of that, which is hard. Um, Yeah. And you know, there is definitely probably an upper limit with every relationship of how much you can convenience or inconvenience people. Um, You know, would I have ever gone to Las Vegas to see BTS on my own? Hell no. Would I go with my wife? Fuck yeah. Super into it. Yeah. Um, It was great. Yeah. It was, I'm glad I did it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, you know, again, it wouldn't be the cup of tea that I would, go out for myself but no it was it was awesome um the yeah the uh i don't want a relationship to be one where we both hold back because we worry about inconveniencing or upsetting the other that should be a goal for every relationship that like is going to hit that kind of level right you know there's work friendships and stuff that you don't have to worry about you know getting to that level with but any any sort of like life partner good communication skills and openness i think are essential ingredients to that kind of relationship and yeah. the good communication is is both being comfortable delivering that kind of question and uh, receiving it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, basically, she, she wants to have sex. And she says that I think there's a part of you that thinks you'd be a monster to have sex with someone who doesn't want to have, have sex. He's like, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's that's the whole reason I haven't had sex. And uh, Amaryllis is like, look, June, I'm perfectly capable of making my own decisions. You understand that, right? You understand that me making my decisions for me is the kind of pa- that you making my decisions for me is the kind of paternalistic crap that I don't want from anyone, but least of all from you. And like, I absolutely love that sentiment. It is the guiding principle behind a lot of the things that I think and um, want in a in a society uh, that that people at some point can just be treated as functioning human adult agents that you know, can make their own decisions. And, uh, and so like on the one hand, I'm totally on board with this and I want to give her a hug or a high five or something, but like in typical noble fashion, Amaryllis thinks that this is true for her, but it doesn't apply to all the fucking plebs who are too dumb to know what they want and need to be ruled over by a monarch. Does she say that? I mean, not here, but she said that in the past several times. I think we even talked about it once or twice. It's weird. Cause I, I mean, I, I was I, at first I was like, okay, either you read something in here that I missed or you're really reading into this, but okay. So you're remembering previous times where she's made stuff like that or made statements like that. Yeah. I, I, the thing is, I don't think she's wrong. Like, you know, not that like 
I guess, uh, well, you know, earlier in my, when I put on my, my Zoe shaped wizard hat, like everyone should be able to do whatever they want. Right. So mm-hmm. long as they're not hurting anyone else, yada, yada. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't actually see a problem with that. I think that, uh, I, I, I don't actually, I don't know if I'm defending a position that she's actually taken. Um, I don't think that she thinks that other people need a ruler. I think it's that she thinks other people benefit from it because they do. Um, she is a shot caller, you know, who doesn't mind making hard decisions, you know, doing hard math and running with the hard answer. Um, yeah, I think that she's, she's better equipped to make gigantic decisions than the average person. Certainly better than me. Um, all right. So I, I technically agree with all of that, but also I really chafe under the idea that the reason she gets to make those sorts of decisions for herself and for others and I don't is because of bloodline. Like, I almost feel it would be better if we had a few levels of maturity in our society. And rather than like you have no maturity at all before 18 and after 18, you have all the maturity, uh, except for these few levels that we can't allow anybody to make any decisions about, like what foods they can eat and what drugs they can take. Because I don't know, we were still infants in that regard. <laughs> like, maybe it'd be better to have certain levels of maturity and people can opt into higher ones whenever they want as long as they can pass some level of maturity test you know and like the people who want to be in a society where you're not allowed to sell or buy alcohol or drugs or other intoxicants can live in that one but like if you can prove you're a certain level of mature you can graduate up to a level where you are allowed to do those things and the government won't enforce dumb laws against you i I like where your like head's specifically, at. I want the ability to buy whatever drugs I want um, of the prescription variety. The fact that I need a doctor to sign off on a lot of things which aren't even recreational drugs. They're just things that could really help me or could really hurt me. But uh, as long as I do my research, I can figure out what those ones are. And like, oh, no, we can't trust you to do your research. You're an adult, but you don't have a medical degree. Like, fuck off. I, I can choose to buy non-recreational drugs if i want to i should just drive down to mexico i don't know uh, old rant no no you're you're fine the the fact that you and i have to break the law to acquire modafinil is ridiculous mm-hmm. um that said i don't think that emerlis has ever said i'm special because of my bloodline it might be implied um i mean that's because why of like she her has those powers that's, yeah. that's why she has them but i don't think that's why she thinks she deserves them that's uh, maybe fair i think maybe. i think that's true um you know she's certainly I think believes that whatever Raven and June and um, Val, probably not Bethel, maybe not Grack, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. are fully capable of making their own decisions. Um, it's true. So, I, it, you know, maybe there's some level of like, well, because they're powerful, but it's also because they're competent. I think that that is where she draws the line. And it's funny because you mentioned like, and I, I, I totally understand your rant on the FDA, but it's funny because I'm imagining like without food safety laws, like I'm not equipped to inspect my own food for salmonella or whatever. Yeah. Like I, I'm glad that they exist in that regard. I think if you drop the D from FDA, we'd be in better shape. Um, I strongly agree. Yeah. I but I, I am glad that they're there for food. You know, and, and it's honestly, not like it's against the law for me to leave my chicken out on the counter and consume it raw and warm, you know, at room temperature, yeah. right? It's just stupid. Honestly, <laughs> I would be happy with that D if it stayed in the FDA as long as they did the thing where they just verify that what's in the drugs is what's in the drugs. Because a lot of the problem with supplements nowadays is like you can buy a supplement, but 
is there actually melatonin in this pill? I wouldn't know for sure. And there are lots of supplement companies that just sell sugar pills. And they're like, yeah, this is chock full of vitamin D and melatonin and whatever they put on the label, but that actually isn't. And I would love the FDA to like have a little label that company can put on all their stuff that said, yeah, this is inspected by the FDA and it actually has in it what is in it. Like if I'm buying heroin, I want to know that it's pure heroin and not cut with like fucking detergent or something. And the FDA could label something as like, yeah, this is actual pure heroin from the supplier. They've passed all our tests and that would make me much happier. Yeah, I feel you. What's that um, longevity drug, NRM or something? Right. That's another good example. It's a supplement, so it's not regulated, but also I'm not 100% sure that it's in there. But yeah, NMN. That's that's the one. So I bought it on whatever, like Nootropics Depot or something. Mm-hmm. And they their reviews seemed really confident that that stuff was legit. And then I wanted to get it on Amazon because it's cheaper and easier to get for me. Um, but all the reviews were like, I don't know if this is real. And they're like, oh, no, we tested it. It's like, I don't care if you tested it. Of course, it'll pass your tests. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think that would be a, a fine compromise. Just like, let me know what's in this stuff. And tell me what you think it'll do. That's actually fine too, right? Sure. Um, in fact, that's actually super helpful. Um, you know, you can't take this much uh, ibuprofen; it'll ruin your stomach lining. You can't take this much acetaminophen; it'll kill your liver. Um, I'm glad they know that stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm with you. I don't like the permission slip factor. Uh, How does this all tie back into the story? Oh, because she's trying to argue that she's capable of. <laughs> like the thing is, June, June, June's case was never that. Like, I don't feel like it's you're. You, you can make your own decision here, Marilis. It's that I feel like you're not into it. Yeah. And that's important to me. Um, yeah. And she's kind of just like, you know, shut up and. Uh, <laughs> shut up and take my. No, shut up and give me your penis. Basically, yeah. I yeah. I, I didn't quite <laughs> know how to come right out and say it. But the funny thing is, like, I get where she's coming from. But it's not, I don't know, it's not the kind of argument that would get my motor running if I was in June's shoes. I don't think I've ever been successfully argued into an erection before. Um <laughs> But well, if anyone could do it, I'm sure it's Amaryllis. Yeah, she's she's very persuasive. Um, mm-hmm. Moxley, yeah, she is. She It works out. She basically just says, look, you know, if you're holding back because you're worried, you know, like, I don't think you should be. And, you know, unless it's just about your own feelings, but don't be worrying about me. And he's like, okay, I believe you. And she's like, then we, and he's like, okay, he doesn't say this in this order. He doesn't say, okay, I believe you. We can give it a shot. But that's, that's what he gets around to, right? Yes. Um, it's because he's like, yeah, you're right. My hangups I can get over. I was worried about you and that you were, you know, quote unquote, consenting for the wrong reasons. Um, yeah. And she's like, there are no wrong reasons because I'm smart. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's, you know, you correct. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like how he says, sure, we can give it a shot. Wait, really? Yeah. Why not? A week from now, I might be dead. So either it's great and I'm glad I didn't miss out or it's terrible and then I'll be dead. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, I mean, you know, win, win. It's also a great argument for when, when you're in hospice care, you just start taking all the drugs. Yeah. Let's see what this does. All right. So they get it on. And, uh, June is kind of confused by this whole situation because afterwards he's like, he's looking over and he's like, did you come? And she's like, yeah. And she's like, okay, I, I, I've been modeling you as an asexual. She's like, yeah, well, sorry, I'm not a gold star asexual. (laughs) I have the same reaction as June because either me or Amaryllis doesn't know what the word asexual actually means. And I'm starting to think it's Amaryllis because no matter how much you were to lick my elbow, I would not come. And 
<laughs> I, I, I mean, I guess it could be the kind of thing where people's bodies can can react sexually and like someone can orgasm even when they're revolted by something. Like when someone is being raped, that happens sometimes. But like Amaryllis just sounds like she's low libido to me. I realize that it's popular just to make up a million words for all the various spectrums of things that someone can be. But like, I don't think it's cool for her to be using a word that actually means something just to avoid the embarrassment of being low libido. Is that embarrassing? It can be. Yeah. Especially if like you're in a relationship with someone. I feel like she's above embarrassment. I guess. But then why is she using this word when it doesn't apply to her? Uh, well, she's saying she's not a gold star asexual. So she says, uh, in analogy to a gold star lesbian, and I'm, you know, my I was, I think, more baffled than the two of you. I'm like, are asexual people not capable of having orgasms? I, I feel like anyone can respond I mean, to stimulation. Yeah, um, they're probably capable of it. So, you know, that could be the case, and she could still, you know, orgasm. I, uh, I don't know. It makes that's, me makes me just glad true. that all my stuff's boring. Like I'm, just, I'm a very milk toast person for the most part, so. I don't have to know like the ins and outs. I don't know what a gold star lesbian is, but I think I have a good guess. What is your guess? It's probably exactly what you're thinking. Is it, uh, is it a, is a woman who's never been with a man? Yeah. Okay. So I guess a gold star asexual would be somebody who, who's never, never achieved orgasm. Had sex. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. And yeah, I mean, sure. Like you're right. Any amount of stimulation could make someone come just like from the way June said it, it looked like, I got the impression that he got the impression that she enjoyed it. Right. No, I mean, she she also seems like she enjoyed making out and stuff too, right? Yeah. It seems like she enjoys sex, just only in very small quantities and in limited uh, situations, which is just like a natural way to be a human. Like, not everybody is a raging hormone monster like, you know, certain people I can think of and share a body with. (laughs) (laughs) I... I think she summarizes it great at the end. Um, but like I saw she just had my final line highlighted. Yeah. So yeah, you gotta I, if you want, you don't have to well Yeah, no, I, I can go into that if you'd like. Or uh, as much as you want, I'm just curious. So this was in relation to her saying gold star asexual. Yeah. I dated a straight lesbian for a couple of years, which was really interesting. So I I guess it depends. It, it, when, so, when, when, <laughs> when was this? Was this like before twenty seventeen, sixteen, fifteen? I'm going to bleep out the name. I figured. Make sure you, make sure you <laughs> right. write that down. She'd been married to a guy for six years. And then that relationship fell apart. And then she started dating me immediately after that. And for the two years we were together, she like, I think once or twice went on a first date with a woman, but never went beyond that. And uh, we were just boning all the time. But we would go to events uh together i don't want to be too specific about events and uh sometimes like in a conversation she would interject like well i as a gay woman feel this and this on this topic and like after the second or third time that happened uh when we went home one time i was like um when you say as a gay woman and i'm sitting right next to you and everyone very consciously tries not to look over at me i i I also kind of wonder am i chopped liver or something (laughs) like i i don't understand she's like okay okay all right i see i see your point I'm going to change it to queer woman from now on. But um, yeah, for, for a long time, I, I was dating a lesbian that that only slept with men. You know, again, I think it's just because I, I lucked out that most of my stuff's really boring. You know, like I, I mentioned, like the, the other thing too is like my sexuality is not a big part of my identity, right? Yeah. I mentioned once on the Discord 
that my wife my wife and I are bi, but like mm-hmm. it never comes up. We got straight married, we're we're monogamous, like we're just we're you know, it's it's not a huge thing for us. And I think oh, the reason I brought that up was because I think I'd mentioned like pansexual apparently means something along the lines of like uh whatever irrespective it means of you don't gender. restrict who you sleep with yeah, yeah based on sex or gender which is like okay so you're bi well i i think it's specifically i i i'm not exactly sure because i think there's some component of gender that might be not involved in bi or something i'm not really sure but i mean i think people object to the word bi because they're like oh so you're trying to say there's only two sexes and i'm like whatever you know the word means you'll sleep with anyone try pan yeah i guess pan encompasses everything yeah i guess uh, well, when I had it defined, I also for think me, pansexual is a lie because they don't sleep with animals, and pan means you know everything. Maybe everyone who wants to. Maybe they're only Homo sapien sexual. That works, um, but only again people who want to, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so when I had it defined, I was like, oh, I feel like that is probably just like the human default, right? Yes. I was surprised that I wasn't like people weren't like, yeah, no, no shit. People were like, no, that doesn't make sense. It's most people are like just straight hetero, and I was like, oh, I guess. I guess you're right because we have lots of we have lots of people running around and there must be some inclination to bang the other sex more and like there is hmm. um, you know on aggregate but like uh, but that's not what pan means pan means you're attracted to you know whatever and right yeah I, 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 I'm with you no but what, what I thought was like I thought that would kind of just be like the human default like once everyone stopped being so hung up on everything and people could just be dude all the time like hmm. people aren't going to be caring about labels or whatever they're just like you want to fool around like hell yeah you know doe style yeah um, right like so I, I figured that that's sort of where society was you know might might be heading and i was surprised that i uh it's not like i have harsh resistance i just thought like people would be like yeah steven we all we all learned this 10 years ago but actually people are like no it's actually not the case uh so i was i was surprised by that but oh, um, cool. frankly i think amarillo summarizes it perfectly she says yes all i'm saying is that there's a lot of wonderful variation among people and smacking them with the labels is often counterproductive unless those labels hew really close to reality. One of the worst things that a person could do with their life is try to match a label, especially us. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know why she's the one that used the asexual label, but okay. I think he's the one who dropped the, the term, right? Uh, you know, actually, yes. So he said, I've been thinking you're asexual. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not that. Um, and then hmm. she's like, you know, yeah, you're trying to put me, put me in a box, man. Can you search your text for asexual to see where it first comes up? Because I maybe uh, you're right. Maybe it was June that applied that to her rather than her own opinion. In this chapter, I think it was him. Um, so I can ter- I can search the chapter at a time. I can't do the whole book. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. But I mean, sure, maybe in this chapter it was him, but that's not really his fault. If in the past she told him that she's asexual and doesn't like sex. I don't know if she actually said that or not. But she definitely some- said she doesn't like sex. Yeah. Uh, yeah, someone will, someone with a better memory can spot, back check us on that. But but um, June is June seems to be saying that it looks not just like you came, but that she enjoyed it. Right. And well, and he doesn't say you told me you're asexual. He says I've been modeling you as asexual. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think she came out and told him that. Um, mm. I think she's just like, man, quit trying to put me in a box. <laughs> you know, you didn't put that locust in a box, and you guys had fun. Like, why do we have yeah. to put labels on stuff? Um, and, you know, again, this, this applies to more than sexual identity, you know, just, I don't know. Yeah. It, I I guess dude is also a label, but give me a good definition of that. And then, you know, dudeism goes away. It's very druid in that way. Um, <laughs> but, you know, 
And you I say I, it's uh, fighting words to some crowds to to, <laughs> to say that you shouldn't have labels. Yeah, I, uh, I that's why I was surprised you didn't grab that quote because uh, this is this is a main character of the story saying, "Look, all this like making sure that everyone knows like what box to shove everyone into." Yeah. Um, talk is a waste of time and counterproductive. Um, yeah. I also like, and maybe this is more nobility stuff from her, but she says it's it's one of the worst things a person can do with their life is try to match a label, especially us. No, I don't mm. think she's saying because I'm a noble and you're noble. She's saying because we're goddamn important. And if we start reading from a script, we're going to screw up. Yeah. I think that's what she's saying. I've also been pulling out slightly less lately in an effort to like encourage you to put in a few more things because I kind of felt like I was take hogging a lot of the attention in, in recent episodes. And I was like, well, I, I guess I can't blame Steven. He opens up this sheet and then he sees there's like nine pages full of notes already. And he's like, Oh God, I don't want to push that up to 18. So I, I've been trying to limit myself a bit oh. to give you some more breathing room. Well, I appreciate that. I don't know if that's actually slowed me down before. Um, oh, okay. and like the last couple months, it was mainly just because like I'm, I'm working more hours a day than I was for the last six months. And so yeah. uh, like I wouldn't quite, I don't know. I couldn't just basically take all of Tuesday morning to haphazardly <laughs> add notes. Um, yeah. But no, yeah, I think it's, it's coming along. Um, I like the balance. Don't, don't leave out anything you want to talk about. So. Okay. All right. Well, find a great segue here into fires of my heart. Chapter two twenty six. <laughs> I love, I love this thing you put at the front. Becoming a fire mage is super easy. Absolutely an inconvenience though. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. You, you just need to be set on fire and get lucky. Yeah, and he does not get lucky. Uh, They are about to take, well, they start off the chapter taking bets on how many tries it's going to take, and Amaryllis took the unusual bet of higher than the highest amount anyone else will guess. And I think that, I'm I'm always reading into Amaryllis' motives here since she's the most narrative-focused one, but I think she thinks that the DM is going to be paying attention to their bets and thus make sure that, like, they're all blown. And so she didn't want to, like, set some insane number like 1 million to make sure she's ahead of everybody else. Uh, but then uh, also be like, well, shit, now the DM is going to do 1 million of them. So she, <laughs> she just said, you know, whoever picks the highest number, they're the one that's fucking June. And so I'm just going to pick higher than whatever the, the highest number is as my answer. So I don't like, you know, put a an actual upper limit on it that the DM has to beat. I, what I'm thinking her mental processes. No, I really like that. Um, I think uh, Grack draws contention with that. Because he's like, well, then I'll have to be exactly right. And I'm like, somebody never saw the prices right. Um, oh, yeah. Well, Crack is absolutely right. And I love his response when June is like, I pick 101. Crack's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the correct answer. <laughs> because then I can only win on one specific number. And June's like, yeah, that's the point. Crack's like, no, fuck you. <laughs> now we got to change how the rules are done with the betting because that's bullshit. And that was, that was great. I love Crack. I love how direct he is. Right. So, yeah, he would have, I guess he would have read the rules first. But did you ever see The Price is Right? Yes, absolutely. People do that all the time. Yeah, but you have to do it last. Yeah. Because I mean, if you do it second to last, the person will just do one higher than you. Yeah. Being, being on Price is Right is just like, if you are the last person, you win generally. <laughs> you know, I should, I, I haven't watched, the, I, I watched the show as a kid. I don't know why I had time for so much daytime TV back then. Because you were a kid. But wasn't I in school or something? <laughs> school was a waste of time and... I don't know. Yeah, Maybe you watched it while you were sick. Yeah, yeah. summers definitely. But uh, yeah, I, I guess I watched it before I had the retention to pay attention to who was getting up there the most, but it probably was the last person. Um, then again, I get the feeling that people who go to The prices Right aren't a lot of 
game theorists. So right. maybe they just went with their gut. I don't know. But um, I kind of feel like they give up them all booze beforehand or something because everyone seems really happy and not all that smart. I think I, mean, I don't want to say they're not smart, but like, I mean, like slightly addled in the brain, like after you've had a few drinks, right? It could be not, or like, it could be smart, the, the madness of the crowd. I mean, I think there's something true. about just that. like a really loud room with lots of bright lights and uh, lots of people. Um, yeah, it could be that. You're yeah. right. You're right. But it could be drinking. What do I know? Um, <laughs> I know one person I think was actually on the show, Ooh. like got like went up and everything. Mm-hmm. This guy, I swear to God, he should buy just lottery tickets. He's bizarrely lucky. I haven't talked to him in like 10 years, but uh, maybe he, I don't know. I, I'm actually, maybe I'll look him up on LinkedIn after this. Um, oh, but also uh, the guy who plays Jesse Pinkman was on at one point in his earlier years. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Where was I going with this? Price is right. Oh, betting. Yes. I loved your thinking though. She wasn't just trying to win the game. She was, she was trying not to screw June over because anyone, yeah, who says a hundred thousand, she's just like, God damn it. Now he's going to definitely get a hundred thousand. Fortunately, he did not get up to a thousand, but he got close. No. Yeah. Uh, they were like in the eight hundreds, right? Yeah. Something like that. And it takes some minutes per session, right? So, uh, five minutes. Yeah. God. So he can turn his pain down. Um, yes. which is great. I think he turned it down like basically as low as it could go for all this. I mean, I think off is as low as it can go. Uh, I think he went down to like 1% or something. Yeah. Um, cause I don't know. It is useful to know if something hurts. Um, but it's, it's merely useful. I think it doesn't need to hurt so much. That's, this is an internal conundrum. Um, I don't know why pain hurts so much. Uh, because that's what gets you to address it immediately. Sure. But then it hurts after that. Because that's what gets you to baby it and give it time to heal. I mean, I suppose. I, I guess maybe I'm particularly salty about this because I was carrying, I, like I said, I got two monitor arms. The box isn't that heavy. It's like 15 pounds, but it's like kind of, it's a slippery cardboard box, you know? Mm-hmm. And I missed a step coming up the stairs and I fell. And like, oh. you know, yes, kind of, you know, fucked up my whole day. Back hurts, I'm old and like yada yada. And so yeah. like, I'm just like, you know, it, it's fine. I'm not, I'm not hurt. Just shut up. Yeah. You know, yeah. if, if it was like a light I could ignore, that'd be one thing, right? Mm-hmm. Or better yet, a light I could turn off. Yeah, chronic pain is absolutely the fucking worst. It's just like a major malfunction in the whole system. But I don't know. I guess the rest of the system wouldn't work if that wasn't a failure state that people could fall into. Yeah. It's it's hor- horrible. Yeah, no, it, it's it's there because the rest of the wire, it, it fits the rest of the wiring. So we really need the transhuman future already, man. Let's get there. Yeah. I just, I can't, just chronic pain, the amount of suffering that that causes the entire human species every day is, ugh. It's pretty fucked. Ugh. It actually pulls yeah. in really well to the next quote you pulled out. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure if that really pulls in that well, but okay. Well, Holy I shit, think, I'm tired of this and I want to give up. I think it works for me. <laughs> well, sure, but he's not in pain is the thing. Sure. He's, he's, he's just really tired of this. He says, it's a slog. It's a grind. It's unpleasant and nauseating and everything that I hate about life. And it's taking a long fucking time. And uh, I, I mean, I feel him. A lot of people feel that way. I just feel the opposite. Like, I really love endurance contests. And and long slogs really, really fucking suck. But then afterwards, you're like, holy fuck, I just did that shit. Did you see what a slog that was? And like, it's really memorable. And and the slog itself is often just kind of very zen-like, you know? I I really do like them, even though even though there's nothing enjoyable about them. The first thing I'm thinking of is like, and I know that like a marathon would be the, the go-to example, but for some reason, the first thing I'm thinking of is like... Uh, 
those things are like you put your hand on a truck and the last person to take their hand off gets the truck. Okay. <laughs> like that sounds boring as all hell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, you get, a, you get a car and it's like, yeah, I stood there and I pissed my pants and I stood for 18 hours, right? <laughs> right, uh, yeah. You know, that, that is kind of a fun story. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, then you had to drive the truck home with piss-stained pants, but yeah. that's a problem for another day. Exactly. Uh, you it, don't tell that part of the story. Right. So what what's, what uh, what real examples are you talking about? Oh, okay. Well, um, gosh, I, I guess in decreasing order from far far away from the present day they are, uh, the place that I renovated before this one, no, the place before that, the place back on Quebec, that thing was like, I was working eight hours at my day job, and then I was driving over to that place, and I would work until usually 10 or so, and then I would come home, and I would flop down on the bed and, after showering and sleep, and then just repeat that. And then on Saturdays and Sundays, I would go in too for another six to 12 hours, depending and like I did that for weeks and it was it was exhausting and like oftentimes like the work is just menial you're just like placing down one floor tile after another clicking them together every now and then you're like oh crap I got to measure this I got to cut this but like it's it's just a slog but it kind of feels good and you know going going back a bit further than that I kind of this is this is a fictional thing but like in video games I kind of like the levels where you're just running upstairs and that's all you're doing for a Hmm. long time and it's really boring but like it it turns into a thing where you're like how long am i gonna keep doing this they said there's 99 floors am i going to have to walk up all 99 floors individually like holy shit uh i'm thinking specifically of final fantasy 7 at this point um and then like when like when you're a kid basically almost all of school (laughs) is this and maybe that's what trained it into me and now it is like a weird fetish because i was exposed to feet in my childhood or whatever equivalent but you know it's 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 that kind of stuff that's just long and boring i mean sometimes editing podcast episodes when i was doing much more of it and was much more meticulous about it i made it more fun for me eventually by like uh putting in sound effects and music and stuff but for a while it was just going through copy paste take out this line take out that click take out that breath and it was a slog but I, I had something to show for it at the end. It was cool, you know? I, I like those sorts of things. Yeah, Not in the doing, but in the afterwards. Yeah, I can totally dig it. I think school is the outlier there because, like, I don't feel like many people walk away with that sense of, like, zen-like accomplishment. Um, I mean, I certainly didn't. I was suicidal by the end of my of my senior year in high school. But I'm just thinking, like, in any given one-year span of elementary school, maybe, it was just, like... I mean, do you do you remember how long one year was when you were like in fourth grade? An eternity. Oh my god, it was insane. Yeah. No, that's that's interesting. It's funny because like I've had, I'm aware of the book like the Zen of Motorcycle Maintenance, mm. and I feel like I don't need to read it. Um, okay. And I feel like you don't need to read because I, I, I don't know what's in it, but it sounds like this. Um, okay. Maybe it's better and worth reading. I don't know, but it sounds like you're already there. Like there is a kind of intrinsic like. I was going to say pleasure, but it doesn't even have to feel good. An intrinsic, an intrinsic satisfaction in just getting something done, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially if at the end of the day, you're like, oh, look, and now it works, right? Yeah, that, that's an even better feeling. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I can dig it. That's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, my, my final comment on that is like just the most annoying thing about the back troubles that I have nowadays is that it took away a lot of the slogging ability. I just, I literally cannot work those hours anymore. And that sucks. Yeah. 
But, you know, if you look at it the right way, in quotes, then every day is a slog. So you get victory points for just d- doing the normal stuff. That is the Yay. wrong way to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I you know, maybe that's where the Zen comes in. You got to find the new thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you can't just do like whatever orcs did in, uh, I don't know, I'm sure various fantasies. But it's like, all right, I'm getting too old to contribute. I'm going to just find somebody who's strong enough to kill me, right? Oh, Yeah. So, yeah. you know, eventually that, that we're all going to be in that boat. So um, yeah. don't go the uh, must die by combat thing and just have fun. So they've been doing this for a while now. I think this is still during his first day, actually. But maybe this was in a later day. Um, I think it was like day three or four. I think it was before he takes day his three break. Or four. Yeah, it's definitely before he takes his break where he's just been doing this forever. And it is, you know, way past 100 tries. He's in the several hundreds now. And uh, he says that this is uh, bullshit. This is a DM fucking with him. And Amaryllis says, you know, the, the Dungeon Master has incredible power. And to do something petty like this, I don't think that's him. Not from what we've seen of so far. And I don't know. I was wondering, do you think that the DM is fucking with him? Or is he just letting the dice roll and June guys just got really unlucky? No, it's, I mean, it's it's got to be fuckery. I, I don't know what Amaryllis is on here. I mean, the uh, the math doesn't check out, right? I, I mean, especially if it's a D20. Sure. Like, I think uh, gra- this this was a great moment. Um, and then I double checked the math because I knew that the Leroy Jenkins thing was not 37%. And so mm. I was I was running the numbers. And I was like, oh, OK, that's why he gave the wrong number because it's the right number for the math. But, you know, if you, if you roll a, a D20 20 times uh, or on, on if you roll it 19 times, you'd be kind of surprised not to get a 20. Mm-hmm. And Grack is like, that should just be 19, 20, this to the power of 19. And mm-hmm. he, June's like, oh, right, 37.7%, repeating, of course. And, <laughs> and Amaryllis says, what? It's not repeating. And first of all, all of them can do that math in their head, which is amazing. Um, can they? They apparently did. Amaryllis corrected his math, or she said it's not oh, repeating. Grack knew it. And 37.7% is the actual 19, 20, to the power of 19. Because, see, Gra- uh, not Grack, um, June has that the perk, which lets him automatically do simple. That's right. Well, <laughs> simple maths. Uh, does that extend to the rest of them, or or is Amaryllis just that smart? Amaryllis might did be she that just smart. know that it's bullshit that it was seven repeating? Uh, I think you'd have to be that smart to know it's not repeating. But okay. maybe you just have to know some basic math. What do I know? And you're right. Greg just knew how to formulate it. He didn't necessarily know how to compute it. Um, yeah. Anyway, Leroy Jenkins. Um, Wait, why are you saying Leroy Jenkins? Because oh, that was. She, he says 37.7% repeating, of course. And she says, what? It's not repeating. And he says, sorry, it's a meme. The meme he's talking about is Leroy Jenkins. Okay, you do you know a different Leroy Jenkins than I do? Or was... The, oh, wait! Because before he rushes in, they're doing that whole conversation beforehand. Right, right. Oh, okay, okay, yes. I've, I'd forgotten about the conversation. It's been many years. Oh, yeah. I forgot to... So in, in one of my, in like my longer notes, I put in a comment, like, at least June has chicken or something. Because that, that's what Leroy says at the end. Um, <laughs> at least I got chicken. Um, cool. But anyway, so Grax says, uh, Grax folding his arms. He says, I'd be inclined to agree with Juniper. Things that are 10,000 or one in 10,000 happen all the time, said Amaryllis. And uh, so Grax is is level-headed. And he's like, no, I think Juniper's right. And Amaryllis retreating is like, you know, one in 10,000 things happen all the time. That's like yeah. rolling a 20-sided die and getting... Uh, a natural 23 times and she's just uh that's just classic apologetics right hmm. i guess so yeah i i i mean you throw that in with the fact that 
as soon as he gets flustered, quits, and then goes right back, it happens immediately. I mean, well, that's what that's what really gives it away. Yeah, yeah. She Emerald would probably write that off as a miracle, or nope, that was just a lucky roll. Um, I mean, tech. That's the thing. It always could have been because sure, the math doesn't check out, but like sometimes those things happen. They're just extremely rare. Yeah, if I went and bought lottery tickets in five consecutive days and won five days in a row, I would conclude that something is weird, right? Yeah, but that's not how unlikely this was. That's fair. It's, one that's in 10, not 000. a one in 10,000 chance, yeah. Uh, so it's much worse than one in 10,000 just to win one time. I'm trying to think of anything that has one in 10,000 odds and nothing jumps out at me. Um, but still, one in 10,000 things, yes, they happen all the time, but uh, not... That often, by definition, right? Uh, I mean, well, I think she means spread out over all of Arab. Sure, but we're all right here. Like, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, it's like, uh, the this is like the law of large numbers, right? Um, uh-huh. And, you know, any, any random thing like, uh, oh, I had a dream of Princess Diana the day that she got killed or whatever, right? Right, yeah. Like, that happened probably to 100 people. But mm-hmm. 100 people had a dream bef- about her the night before and the night after. Like, yeah. it, it just randomly happens. And if you if you pull a large enough people, a large enough sample, that's just, you're going to get coincidences like that. Um, right. The thing we is, have- this this is June Smith, right? Yeah. This yeah. isn't this isn't random person on Arab, right? This isn't a, a large sample size. No, this is, uh, this is bullshit. <laughs> I'm, out of all the people on Arab, because there's like, what, they're down to 5 billion or something? Something like that. Out of 5 billion people, there's a good chance that at least one of them is going to go 800 getting set on fires without getting fire magic. Right, but the odds of it being June are, are next I mean, to that, nothing, right? That feels a lot like, you know, the odds of me being the hand that I was dealt in poker are are incredibly slim. <laughs> there was a... It was either... I forget. It was somebody in the skeptic community or maybe someone that they cited back in the day. But they were like, man, I saw a license plate with... GBB087 on the way here. Can you believe the odds? <laughs> right? And they just make up a license plate, right? Cuz it's yeah. so I mean, the the odds of you getting dealt a deck of cards, an entire deck in the order you got it in, unless it's the one fresh from the pack, mm-hmm. is infinitesimally small, right? Mm-hmm. But for you, for you to be able to guess it beforehand, that's the impossible part. Yeah. Um I don't know. I I'm going to go with chicanery. I think okay. I think obvious chicanery. And for Emeralds yeah. to pretend for one second that it's otherwise. I mean, granted, he hasn't gone longer than anyone else ever, but he's gone yeah. longer than most of them. I mean, I've gotten fucked with bad luck on games enough times where I am I am not quite that surprised. Uh, We're just like this this seems to defeat all fucking odds in the world, but I mean, it's a randomizer in the computer and yes, I know it's pseudo random, but it's close enough to random that it's random for all practical purposes and yet somehow i missed this 99 percent chance to hit seven times in a row i i guess i just got insanely unlucky yeah i mean i've seen people in risk or whatever make impossible defense roll after defense roll right <laughs> right it's like well there go 30 troops congratulations on your seven defending it that blew my mind <laughs> um yeah. but yeah like i uh i i i don't know this I'm, I'm, I don't have a good intuitive, um, like, Bayesian floor for what 1 in 10,000 feels like. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know how unlikely that is supposed to feel. Mm-hmm. But, th- I mean, they could have just, he could have written this down before they even started. It's like, you know, 
the number I get will not be a coincidence because nothing in my life is a coincidence, <laughs> right? Sure. Literally nothing. Um, mm. I I don't think that it's – I don't even know – I mean, maybe any individual random thing he's doing, but nothing like this. Come on. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe he'll get a chance to ask the DM at some point because that is one of those things I would want to know if I ever saw the DM again. I'd be like, by the way, about the fire thing – or Are like, you fucking with me? Yeah, were you fudging numbers at any point? I guess yeah. that, that that actually, when you zoom out and ask that question, that is a really good one. Um, and that makes this not seem so unrealistic. Uh, because I would like to think that the DM isn't just straight up fudging numbers, mm. right? Yeah. But, you know, if he's excluding things, I guess that's not the same thing as, as fudging numbers, but he is changing the game, right? I mean, and he might not have been actually rolling, as is my... Um my hypothesis a little bit later down when we get to that point. Okay. And so he doesn't have to fudge numbers if he just doesn't roll. If he's just like, no, it's just not going to work for June until he goes and talks to Raven. So he can keep doing it as long as he wants. And once he actually does the thing, then I will give it to him. I think that's a good answer. Um, and I think that's the way that's probably went, right? Just because the fact that it, it worked the one time he came back, that's mm. Stymie's imagination if we're going to go ahead and say, oh, no, you know, it's just a D20. Um, it doesn't stymie my imagination, but it does seem very unlikely. It, it seems almost like a message. I mean, I have a D20 here on my desk. My brother got it for me when he started doing this mm-hmm. podcast. I mm-hmm. mean, I would roll it, but it's loud. But No, roll it anyway. I mean, let's see. 7, 19, 9, 7, 20. All right. So five tries. that was like, what, 5? That was 5. I was counting, yeah. Yeah, if... if if we sat there and did that 800 times, wouldn't you think that this thing's weighted? Like, I would start thinking, okay, it's impossible to get a 20 on this after, like, 200. But that's just magical thinking, because if you look at it and there is a 20, and you feel it and balance it, even a weighted dice sometimes comes up on the the um, non-favorite side sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I All right. We'll, we'll let it slide. Okay. Um, I'm with you. This wasn't a dice rolling thing. This was a, a character thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we get to the point where June is like, I, you know, he doesn't sleep anymore. So I've been doing this for several days straight with small breaks. I, I, I need some time off. He goes, he wanders around. He runs up to Raven's place. And he's like, oh, hey, there's Raven's place. Let's go inside, talk to Raven. And uh, at first, Raven thinks that he might, uh, might have been a tongue assistant to come to help her. Because she's like, yeah, some of the tongue approached me, offering to be my research assistants. And I took them up, so that's why I thought maybe it was you. Uh, but I was surprised to find out that Amaryllis hadn't put up, hadn't put them up to it. And that, in fact, Amaryllis seemed offended that I didn't think of them as being able to take the initiative. I just wanted to pull that out because I know we talked about the Tongue Society and whether it's going to be a horrible disaster or something that is great. But I think it's a really good sign for the society that Amaryllis built that... Uh, that she believes that the tongue are trained to like take initiative and be agentic people and is kind of offended that someone wouldn't think that. That that means she wants to make actual people and not slaves. Yeah, no, you're hundred percent and uh this is a nice way without even giving the tongue like a lot of, you know, like a whole chapter that's just following a random one around or something. Mm-hmm. This is a way to um show us. No, they're they're making our decisions and doing stuff. They have they have initiative. Um that's a Damn good point. That is some highly strong economy of writing there. Yeah, it's badass. Uh, he does that a couple times in this, or not just economy of writing, but uh, like I don't know, fun ways of conveying stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean it, it. It settles a lot of the concerns I have about the tomb. They're they can they can do what they want. They've got a research project that they're curious about. They want to help this person. Like they don't need to go ask their monarch or whatever, right? 
Yeah. Um, no, they can just do stuff. Yeah, I nice. feel good about it. Yeah, me too. All right. So, uh, yeah, she also talks about the nature of reality. And uh, I just kind of thought while we were reading that part that, you know, maybe the platypus really is an in-joke for the DM or God, which, you know, sometimes people say platypus is an in-joke for God or proof that he has humor or something. <laughs> And, you know, maybe it is a reference to something like uh, like an Avatar The Last Airbender where the bear was a reference to to a joke. Did, did you ever see that series? Yes. I'm trying to remember the bear. Uh, the bear was a pet of the Chinese emperor. And uh, when they first hear about it, uh, um, gosh, I don't remember who starts it. Maybe it was Aang. Aang is like, you mean like a duck bear? It's like, no, just bear. <laughs> and another one of them is, surely you mean turtle bear? Nope, just bear. And then the last one was like, are you sure you don't mean squirrel bear? And she's like, just bear. And they all look at each other and like, this place is weird. <laughs> because, because every animal in, in the Avatar Airbender world is two animal names that exist on Earth mashed up. And this is the only one that isn't. I completely forgot about that. And you're right. And that, that was delightful. That show was amazing. Yeah, that was a great show. And so, yeah, the, the, the thing is, like, if there are in-jokes to in higher higher level world on earth we don't know because we wouldn't know unless we had access to the higher level stuff yeah this also sounds like a conversation that we need drugs for um i i feel like it'd be possible to find things right i mean like because there might be jokes like in the world like i don't know if you converted um uh elon's elon musk's name to hexadecimal and then to binary and that turned out to be like the sequence of whatever some i i don't know like some some random several step nonsense like that right yeah um if it turned well, out like, to, like if, if some cosmological constant turned out to spell elon musk it, sure, if you, if you sure. convert it enough like okay that sounds like an easter egg we're definitely in a simulation right um, but what if like elon musk's name is an anagram for some the person who got the 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 outside of the simulation race off of their home planet and onto their version of mars We'd never be able to know that. No, yeah, totally. So that those ones we couldn't, we could, would never be privy to. But yeah. some, some more local ones might be there. Um, okay, like the platypus. Like the platypus. Yeah. Uh, heck, don't know what to make of this. We might, uh, we might be in a story. <laughs> yes, come to the messianic thinking dark side. <laughs> well, actually, good segue. Speaking of stories, when Uther rewrote them, he he had some tweaks he made. Yeah, and I mean, maybe it was just because he didn't remember them completely perfectly, but uh, Raven points out that in the works that Uther recreated, uh, he had a tendency to cast things in black and white. He made the heroes into better people and the villains into worse people. And I think, like, I think that's interesting. That maybe says something about Uther, but like, I also don't know how to interpret it because it could mean so many different things. So I don't know what what to think exactly aside just, Aside from I wish I had more context. It's definitely a clue is what you're saying. Um, it's, it sounds like a clue, but it's a clue that could point to almost anything. I mean, it probably does point to a lot. But the first thing I thought of when you pointed that out was like, and it, you're right, it, it probably does more. I'm sure everyone listening had thought of their own. But I'm thinking if I put myself in my Uther shoes, like I'm going to make up some stories. I know I live in a story. My stories are going to be black and white. Good guys are good guys. Bad guys are bad guys. And... I think it's so he could project that part of that kind of thinking into his own life. Like mowing down legions of of soldiers to kill the big bad would be morally super gray at best since you're ruining a bunch of families by killing conscripted soldiers. Right. Mm 
Mm -hmm. but he just wanted to believe that it was black and white morality. I'm doing the right thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, lots of times fiction is wish fulfillment kind of stuff. And his life was fiction, you know? Yeah. So I think, I think maybe he was just trying to drive that home for himself, maybe on a subconscious or conscious level. Like, nope, these are stories or maybe it's propagandizing, you know, people read my stories. They'll read, they'll read about my deeds and uh, lest anyone think that I did anything wrong by killing a thousand people to cut off the bad emperor's head. Um, well, it wasn't wrong when, uh, whatever, the orcs weren't the least bit sapient in Lord of the Rings, right? Or whatever yeah. he called Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah. They were dangerously sapient in Lord of the Rings, which I, or at least in the movies. And yeah. they never quite square any of that. Uh, but may, maybe they were less uh, uh, cognizant in his version. In the movie, didn't they show them literally being like mud people that got d- dug out under the from under the earth, kind of like a uh, golem style, and sent to kill th- stuff? That's how they made the Urukai. Um, but it also shows them arguing and taking orders and having desires, right? And yeah, talking. But I could see, yeah. Now, as Jar Jar Binks so eloquently put, <laughs> I spec, um, and uh, Qui Gon says the ability to speak doesn't make you intelligent. Uh, it's that's true. But mm-hmm. I feel like the the orcs, uh, at the very least, it's worth asking the question, which no one ever bothers. Like, are they are they just kind of doing their thing, and we're maybe like doing the wrong thing by wiping them out, you know, mm-hmm. wantonly? Yeah. Anyway, I I agree with you. Uh, someone there, there's a great sort of uh, good. <laughs> yes, absolutely. There's also a great uh, fanfic of Lord of the Rings. I think it's called the Last Ringbearer. It was uh, a Russian thing that basically said uh, had a world where the orcs were. Um, an industrial race that was advancing and all the other races were scared of the industrial race, you know, leaving them behind. So they ganged up and killed off the orcs. Hmm. Cause you know, they, they, they were polluting the world and stuff by burning coal and making factories, but, uh, but they shouldn't have been genocided for it. Yeah. They were trying to improve their quality of life. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, at least I never read it myself. That is what I remember of the summary. I think the last ring bearer was the short story that Eliezer put out. Maybe. You did the audio yeah, version of it. <laughs> I do, but I don't remember what the name of it was no. now. No, no, no. That was Lord of the Rationality. Oh, you're right. Okay, yeah. All right. Uh, world Anyways, building. yeah. Well, I was I was all actually just before world building. I was thinking, yeah, like it could be him trying to put out propaganda. It could be him uh, being like wish fulfillment. My life is morally gray. I wish it was more black and white like this. It could be him, you know, deluded and thinking, yeah, my life is black and white and I'm reflecting this in these other stories that I'm writing. Like it could point to a lot of things with that actual additional context is what I think. So that's why I wasn't sure what to make of it entirely. That's why we can't let Bethel just kill Uther when she meets him because we won't get answers to these questions. Exactly. Inquiring minds want to know. We need to know these questions. People need to know. Like every news person says in every movie. Yes. Uh, well, Raven needs to know about June's world building. Yeah. Good segue. So, uh, thanks. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, June was saying, I usually try to think of as many compelling things as I can and work backwards to make sure they make sense. And Raven says, why do they got to make sense? Uh, Uther always said that some of the best stories had some element of the nonsensical. And that if you thought that, uh, he thought that if you had to decide between adding a few lines to make something make sense or skipping them in favor of brevity, you should choose brevity every time. And when she, when I read that, it like kind of clicked onto me. I know we're always trying to like define what rational fiction is and what makes a story rationalist or not, but 
it, it clicked for me that I think definitely a big part of Ratfic is that it strongly favors taking the time to explain why something makes sense as opposed to skipping it for brevity uh, that Ratfic writers and readers prefer that sort of thing. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, Uther seems to enjoy him some less wrong. And yet he's going to say, no, nah, skip the explanation. Just go for the, you know, the fun meat of it. Um, mm-hmm. No, nah, that doesn't seem doesn't seem very Arthur to me, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'll take Raven's word yeah. for it. It just means that I'm confused. Yeah. But maybe he had slightly different tastes in fiction. Not all rationalists like Ratfic. That's true. And it's also possible that uh, his taste changed being on air for decades, you know? That's true too, yeah. He's like, no, fuck all the boring stuff. Just like, you know, get let's let's do the, the highlights. He didn't have a community of rationalists to help keep him sane. That's true. If only he had thought to let people in, he could have trained them. Right. Could have had less wrong meetups every every month. <laughs> could have held council meetings. <laughs> or that's, yes, much more dignified sounding that way. Well, I'm just saying he could have made people come. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, good point. Yeah. yeah. You will all take these classes, damn it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, June thinks that uh, if people don't think about the world building and make sure it makes sense, then, you know, it doesn't hold together and it's not interesting. And I just wanted to say that, yes, I agree. Dead worlds are boring. And I linked to my essay about dead worlds. So that which basically complains about too many people just dumping world building and saying it doesn't matter and and doing things like, uh, you know, why? Why did this one time you flew an X-Wing at light speed through a destroyer and that solved all the problems and no one ever does it again? It's ugh, ugh, very frustrating. Yeah, I I agree 90%. I mean, I think okay. you take this too far and it means that June shouldn't enjoy the Matrix. Why is that? Because the battery thing makes no fucking sense. That's true. And so... But the battery, sa- the battery thing was such a minor detail. It was more like, you know, the machines keep humans in a simulated reality. Why? Oh, okay, battery. Yeah, but like that's actually not a good answer, right? Yeah, it's a bad answer, but it doesn't matter because that that doesn't affect anything in the story, really. Uh, I mean, yeah, I suppose you're right. I mean, like the X-wing going to light speed to destro- destroy a destroyer is would affect the world a lot. Yeah, that's fair. That's a that's a bigger plot device. That's a larger um, hammer to swing into the story, right? Yeah. This this is just like an inadequate explanation. Like at the end of one of the movies, they make peace with the robots or something, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not clear what the robots actually wanted. So it's not clear mm-hmm. what peace looked like. If we'd had a good explanation for why the Matrix ex- existed and if they really needed batteries, then that could have been part of the peace proposal, right? I mean, this is part of the reason the sequels don't exist. Right. <laughs> what sequels? <laughs> exactly. Fuck that trash. Man, I really wanted to like the, the remake. Well, not the remake. Excuse me. The revisited i forget what it was called revelations yeah no yeah yeah uh um, reawakening who cares yeah matrix 2022 um like or maybe 2021 doesn't matter um like (laughs) they really should just append the the uh dates to all movies now like they have a top gun maverick why'd you call it maverick no one's gonna remember which one it is once you're up to your fifth one just like say yeah this is top gun 2022 it's like madden we'll be making a new one every year yeah uh, i guess that wouldn't work with marvel movies though because they make more than one per year well but at least they're not all called thor right that's true yeah they, they at least all have their own names like god of war the 2017 or whatever one. Oh god that annoyed me we so have much. to clarify it's that one yeah you played god yeah, of that, war yeah. the one that came out on playstation 4 a couple of years ago um anyway the uh where's it going with all this uh, uh matrix oh yeah suck. i wanted to like i wanted to like the new one 
And I, oh, I really okay. like that it I like that it exists. Yeah. I, I don't I like that I watched it. I don't <laughs> I don't think that I quite picked up what it was putting down, but the thing is I don't think it was putting anything down to pick up. I think the main thing it was putting down is this is what a midlife crisis feels like. And I think it did a really good job of that. I did read your review and I liked like that take. <laughs> okay, um, okay. But it's more than just that. Mm. I think. I think. What do I know? I couldn't figure out what it actually was. So um, I think it tried to be something else in addition to that, but it didn't do that great a job of anything else. Yeah. Well, I want to dig into it, but I want to keep going. So we'll, we'll hold off. Um, when they're talking about, uh, um, Uther's when he was st- arguing for democracy. Yeah. And, uh, June says, you know, I'm something of a scientist myself. I mean, I'm something of an Uther scholar myself. Um, mm-hmm. and he says that it was interesting that there was nothing like in his writings, there was no satire. There were no modest proposals, which is that swift story about eating babies um, mm-hmm. or proposal. Uh, it's it's just straightforward rote argumentation. Some of it's gripping, but it's just played straight, I guess. Maybe that's him having grown up or maybe that's him playing a role, but it's hard for me, not to, it's hard for me to read that and not read it as kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was thinking kind of like out loud to myself as I was writing this down that I wonder why Uther apparently took things so seriously as, the whole time. Mm-hmm. But then when I thought about it, the question seems to answer itself that especially if he remembers the car accident, like he wakes up on air and thinks he's dead. Mm -hmm. And then you realize he's in some bizarre matrix like scenario with real pain and suffering where his, you know, friend from school seemed to have made most of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, he's just freaked out a lot. Right. It's kind of amazing that June's cutting loose and having as much fun as he is. Like June isn't having a huge existential crisis with most of this really at all. I wonder if Uther tried to talk to June like June tries to talk to the DM sometimes because he looks around. He sees everything is built by June. He's got to be thinking June is responsible for this. He's up there watching me. Why does he not intervene? Why when I talk to him and say, like, can I get out of this, please? Finally, let me go home. And June doesn't let doesn't let me go home. What the fuck, man? Why are you doing this to me? Why did I, I could see him getting. Yeah, I could see him getting bitter at June for. Because it's it's June's world, but June right. won't stop fucking torturing him. I that's why I really or not hope. torturing, but well, yeah. seemingly torturing, you know, or putting I mean, him through just, adversity. Yeah, um, yeah. I I'm hoping that when they meet, that Uther's not pissed about it. Like that, you know, June will get to say, "Yeah, I'm confused too." Right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When he left that message for June in the mirror, it wasn't like a foaming at the mouth round rant about like, you know, you motherfucker. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. You know, I hope you're suffering as much as I am. He mm-hmm. just said, "I hope you never see this." You know, clearly your hand is here, but this isn't real. I don't know what's happening, right? Yeah. I I, I don't think he's... But that was also like... not That was not at the end of his adventure. I'm not sure when he left that message. He, it was in his like 30s, though, not in his 40s. Yeah. So yeah. like 15 years in? 20 yeah. years in? Something like that. Well, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and the fact that June's having fun, I guess he didn't like his life that much. And the idea that the ability to start from scratch was, wasn't something that he minded taking taking that up chance mm-hmm. yeah i, I don't, don't know. know maybe yeah. we'll find out in some in the near future well, i sure hope so i think that's why i'm waxing philosophical so much is that i know we're closing in so and it's not just because like i can see whatever the percentage on the book or whatever it's that we are very much doing like a let's wrap things up let's assemble the avengers you know we're getting ready for this right Mm-hmm. totally so uh all right so June gets done talking with Raven and he goes back and gets fire magic the very first time he's set on fire <laughs> when he gets back. And that is when I was like, okay, maybe, maybe it was just the DM decided that he wanted to get like 
a full chapter out of this or a full role play session if they're doing sessions or something. Uh, and that includes, you know, June having a time where he seeks out Raven and they have a chat before the final assault. And um, and so he was just going to put put up a wall for June here and just say, you can just keep on catching on fire as long as you want until you finally get it through your skull that you need to go talk to Raven first. And then once that's done, then he gets the fire and lock and they can continue on. Yeah. I just, I, my other thought was like, I wonder if Amaryllis will write off, this, write off this incredible coincidence as a miracle or hmm. she'll admit to chicanery. But then I had to, I just now had a rather depressing thought. Hmm. I bet while June was gone, she was praying really hard. And when it oh. came back and he when it, and it worked, it's going to vindicate her religion. And it's not going to, she, she's going to be like, oh, thank you. Good, wise DM. Um, yeah. Not, uh, okay, glad we, you know, got through that. Thanks for fucking with us, right? Um, I'm. Would she thank the DM? I, I don't. I. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. You, you why put, not? I don't know. You put it as like, will Amaryllis write this off as a miracle or as chicane or admit that it's chicanery? And I'm like, with Amaryllis, she would probably say all miracles are chicanery. <laughs> there is. This is the same picture. Right. Well, I guess. Uh, yeah. So writing it off as coincidence maybe isn't the way to do it. Um, she would be like, oh, it's you know, like if they've gotten it the first try. Mm-hmm. You know, she. I doubt she'd be like, "Well, you know, one in ten thousand things happen all the time." You know, mm-hmm. um, she'd be like, "Ah, this is you know, obviously the DM just wanted us to get you, get you to have this, whatever." Whether she's whether she says that out loud or not, I guess I'm not quite clear how to model her worship. It's it's if not it it's not a straightforward worship thing, right? Yeah, I think if it happened immediately, she would have just thought, "Okay, the DM doesn't have any plans for anything interesting to happen around this," so. Here we are, continuing on. It probably won't even be mentioned or whatever. This might even be an off-screen moment or, or something. But he had that great one-liner about, I can do this all day. So we mm-hmm. had to have the whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, oh, I remembered what happened, actually. Let me go back to that chapter here. Because when he says that, um, I had this thing. Uh, oh, so on on the Google Play e-reader, it's not, now I don't get to scroll to read. I have to swipe the page. Okay. Which makes highlighting kind of annoying, but whatever. Um, oh, yeah. But that was a page break for me when he says, fine. But as Captain America says, I can do this all day. Page break. And then it says, by the fourth day, I was getting pretty fucking irritable. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually a perfect pause. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. Poor uh, that's all I had for that then. Are we on to 227? Let's come bring this on home. Twice. Yeah. Part Homecoming two. part two. Um before we jump into the Bethel thing, we just, oh, we talked about how there's uh, more more druids. So high five to that. Oh, yeah. Got to get that companion perk. Curious what's going on there. But we'll get to that later because we have awesome interpersonal stuff. Yes. Bethel shows up and she's like really playing the penitent. She is small. She is frail. She is uh, eyes downcast. She's wearing sackcloth, basically. And uh, about all this, June says it was all fakery, of course. There's nothing that Bethel didn't control about her, her appearance. And I'm like, I mean, yes, okay. Uh, first of all, it's true for a lot of humans about a lot of things about her appearance. But, okay, yes, you are correct. But also, the fact that she's doing that to her appearance says a lot in and of itself. That's a big step for her. Old Bethel would have never done that. It's true. Um, I think it's, it's tough because he was kicked the hardest by it. I mean, not just because he was victimized the way he was. But, you know, he, they talk about this in their apology, in her apology, I love it. So I'll save that. But um, yeah, his thing, his thinking of like, oh, it can't be a real change. It's obviously an act. Um, You know, yeah, he can't dismiss the possibility. But like you said, 
there's no reason she couldn't come in 70 feet tall and saying, fine, I'll do the Felseed thing, but I demand these hundred things and you need me so much that you'll give me every one of them, right? I think actually her upper limit is 10 feet tall, but as as for everything else, yes. Like like he pointed out, you she could have said, I demand all these things and they would have caved. She could have come in as a house that was That's 100 a feet tall point. and just yeah, shattered okay. from, the, from being a building. But you're right, yeah. Okay, her projection is 10 feet, sure. I, I am sorry. I forgot technical for no good no, reason. No, no, that's, that's important. It's That's the June way. We like the, the rules and technicalities. <laughs> I forgot that there was a, a cap on her size, um, or on her projections, that is. Um, mm. But yeah, uh, you, I mean, we. I, I wanted to get into some of the, the meat of her apology here, but um, seems like you liked it. Yeah, I thought, uh, I thought it was a really good apology. And um, I, mean, I guess we'll get into the, the details of it too. But I thought that the her setup beforehand of saying that my words are irrelevant was a really great touch to it. Yeah, I it's it's tough because her her apology is so perfect that if I was June, I would I, I couldn't dismiss the possibility that this was purely coached. Yes. You know, that, that a devil told her exactly what to say. Right. So, you know, he, she was given uh, just whatever, a, a tree of like 100 if conditions that you know, just go down this list. You know, if if he says this, do this or whatever, right? Um, mm-hmm. You can't shake that concern. But I, you know, we've we've been with them uh, for some of their whatever time away, and uh, this seems legit. You know, yeah. Um, she says there are no set of words that can that can repair our friendship. You trusted me more than anyone else, and I shattered that trust. Um, I uh, I don't know. I I think that it it comes off as sincere to me. But again, I have the privilege of not being junior, so. Um, yeah. I like when they're talking about violence and stuff and he says, yeah, it gets you Wait, what you be- want. Oh, before we get to the violence. Yeah. I I've, I've always had a similar, I guess, problem with apologies that is pointed out here in this chapter that apologies are just words and words don't really matter. But also I guess words do matter. And the point is with an apology, you don't have anything but words anyway. So do the best you can with the tool you have to work for that you have to work with and what you try to do with that tool says something. I don't know. I it's, it's the whole thing where like, ideally you would never have to apologize or just say like, I am sorry. Uh, and additional words really are irrelevant. It's the sorry that matters or not, but people can't just believe that you are sorry and having good words kind of helps them to believe a bit more to give you some slack until they can see through direct actions that, you're actually telling the truth because it's just saying, I'm sorry, anyone can do right. And putting in words that feel thoughtful and emotional makes you trust that I'm sorry a little more. I don't know. Apologies are just a weird thing. And uh, there's probably a whole science to them, which I am not aware of. And I would feel less like they are magic if I read this science about them. So maybe I should do that. I am not aware of any science on them. Someone sends stuff our way. I have listened to some like waxing philosophical about it. And it's interesting because, yeah, I mean, anyone can make the words, right? Mm-hmm. You know, clearly just saying I'm sorry is never enough. Um, it's It might mean a lot coming from some people like Bethel, right? Um, mm-hmm. Just the ad- admoni- the admission of I've I've done wrong. Um, but yeah, I think like uh, like you said, personalizing it, tailoring it to your, your situation and your words helps a lot. Kind of like buying somebody a birthday card. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't just get one that says happy birthday on it. You get one that says something about you know whatever to the person maybe you have less experience with this than i do because 
uh, your parenting Jehovah's Witnesses, you probably don't have to buy them birthday cards every year. But yeah, I, I very rarely bought any cards for anyone. Smart. It's uh, a <laughs> it's it has that chore of like uh, I don't know. Um, it, it it's not so much of a chore as it is finding the right one. But then like you know you never you always know that like oh yeah someone else wrote this and I read a handful and I liked this one. And if someone else gets me a card that's really touching, it's the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, with apologies, it's it's a lot more about actions. You know, we talked about God of War. So in the words of the best dad ever, don't be sorry, be better. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, like it, that's, that's one way to do it. Um, but part of that step is like, you know, admitting that I, I done goofed. I guess it's, yeah. there's, there's different kinds of apologies too. I, I always hate when I say, I'm sorry. And someone says, someone says, it's not your fault when like, I'm sorry that like they got into a car crash or something. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not sorry. Cause I did it. I'm right. sorry that it happened. And that, you but know, it's also, your, your car is in the shop and that you're inconvenienced. Right. Like, but there, you, you know, it, what the, kind of sorry I meant. I'm situationally, I'm situationally sorry. Not like agently. Sorry. Yeah. But also there isn't, there isn't, or I guess maybe now there is, but up until the, it's not your fault words were popularized. There wasn't a, wrote thing to say back to someone when they said i'm sorry because you can't just like leave it hanging there like you got in a car accident someone says i'm sorry and what are you supposed to say i accept your apology like (laughs) (laughs) you 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 gotta say something back and that's kind of turned into the default what you say backwards yeah maybe i'll start just saying i regret that happened to you just to force them to think and then they can say thank you i appreciate your your commiseration or something right yeah um i don't want to put burdens on them because i wouldn't be saying those words if they didn't have a rough day but um it's like <laughs> yeah i mean you know i try to go more often with like that really sucks or you know that's what i was gonna say in fact that is that is actually a really good uh a good approach and i think that that lands with people a lot better and it's you know sometimes you don't want to be told like oh well here's a silver lining or oh man i'm really sorry you want someone to be like man that fucking blows and you're like i know right thank yeah. you i agree it's i think i think that can that is often what people need to hear. So no, I think it's eh, inter, in, to Bethel's point, you know, interpersonal communication is hard. Um, I, I also like your idea about the game theory of apologizing where I, I tr- so I, I don't think my dad really apologized ever to anyone and I didn't really want to be that kind of person. So I would apologize for things often, but then I also noticed it seemed like I apologized for all sorts of things all the time. And so when I actually did need to apologize for something serious, that the apology didn't seem to mean as much because I already say I'm sorry so much. So lately, I've been trying to throttle back how often I say things like I'm sorry, because it seems to devalue it a little bit if you use it all the time, right? Maybe? Or am I falling into the trap of becoming like my dad and not saying I'm sorry? No, you need some economy of scarcity, you know? Uh, I I think I'm being somewhat tongue in cheek there, but there is there is something to the fact that like there's a difference between like a, a quick like oh I'm sorry shoot sorry you know I apologize like ten times getting all these boxes and shit up the stairs because I was like I don't know making a bunch of noise and whatever right um, mm-hmm. but that's not the same as like sitting down and saying hey look I thought about this and I've seen it another way and I I wanted to let you know I'm I'm sorry that I didn't see it earlier that sort of stuff right yeah that's totally yeah good point different. Yeah. It's it's not just saying the two words. Um, mm. Yeah, I think it, it is about what what surrounds it. And, of course, the actions and stuff, too. And that does kind of tie us into what Bethel gets at here. I can't remember. She's talking about how she still has her impulse to violence. And she's like, yeah, I still have it, but I'm second-guessing it. Val says well, that's the first step towards, like, not even having it. But I need to notice it first. Mm. And June's like, yeah, it also gets you what you want. And she's like, no, no, it usually doesn't. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it, the allure is that it's simple and visceral. I'd call it idiotic, but I don't think that's quite it. It's it's base. It's a fundamental expression of will. For humans, it's more understandable since you originally come from animals. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, if I know of re- if I if what I know of reality is true, for myself, I was a relative imbecile for a long time, and a core part of my psyche is a sword. Not an excuse, but perhaps an explanation. It's an amazing observation about the sword. I forgot that the first sentient entad she absorbed was a sword. Me too. Mm. And, you know, the not excuse, explanation. I remember having to articulate that for myself when I was like 10, arguing with my teacher about, like, justifying my behavior. She's like, don't make excuses. And I'm like, I'm not excusing it. I'm explaining it. Um, Mm -hmm. But that was a hard thing to do when I was 10, give or take two years. Um, But no, yeah, uh, it's impossible to say how much the, of an impact that the first thing that was, you know, in her head, as it was, was a sword that wanted to kill something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but I, what I liked more than just that was the uh, the bit about, like, the, the base um, expression of, like, no, I just want to hit the bad guy. Yeah. You know, like, we all clapped and cheered when June fucked Onion up. <laughs> yes we did it's still awesome even though mm-hmm. i kind of feel bad about it now it was still yeah. epic and dude had it coming right but uh it's like you know there, there's just something about that and anyway I, I the thing that she that i liked i i just i liked all of it she said that no violence doesn't give me what i want it's just that it's simple and visceral and it's my first impulse mm-hmm. like that's that's epic of her to admit um mm-hmm. you know so it, it things don't she's grown she has. It it certainly seems that way. And I think uh, I was being too wishful to assume that like they'd be all hunky-dory after one quick meeting. Mm. But I guess I, I was hoping that it would end an empathetic hug or a handshake that th- that didn't mean everything was okay, but it would mean that everything would be okay. But they don't right. quite get yeah. there. Uh, she, no. You know, she says, I'll be a weapon for you against Felseed. Um, and, you know, what else can I say? And basically, she just kind of goes trudging off. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, it was it was a good scene. It was sort of a yeah. I I liked it. I I thought the whole nod nod turn trudge was it was great. Yeah, and huge emotional maturity from June. He says that I found myself feeling sorry for her, and as about to remind myself to stay angry before realizing how stupid that would be. Instead, Mm -hmm. I let the pity wash over me, allowing myself to feel morose and ill at ease. Mm -hmm. He's letting himself feel the bad feelings. Yeah, good for him. Right? (laughs) Yay. If Bethel can change, so can June. Hey, you know, then maybe there's something to that. I wonder if maybe if it's directly tied to that. I can't tell if we're both still being sarcastic or not. Like, we don't know that's what his companions are. Well, I mean, <laughs> but I, I I wonder if it was literally the fact that her changing also changed him in this game. That they're tied together on a more fundamental level. And if she hadn't changed, then he wouldn't have. Although, I guess... It also goes without saying that if the person who raped you doesn't change and isn't sorry, you're not going to be less forgiving to them either. I don't, yeah. But he's he's now more the kind of person who will let himself, you know, not wallow in pity or self-pity, but feel the bad feelings, you know? Oh my God, if they're far more literal, just aspects of him, we're not just like a broken off, spun up kind of metaphor, but like literally changes to them affect him and vice versa. Maybe one of the reasons Amaryllis like wanted to have sex with him now and seemed to enjoy it was because as June has gotten better at accepting his sexuality, Amaryllis is literally changing in that in in being more sexual as a reflection of June's changing feelings towards towards his sexuality. 
That's distinctly plausible, but I kind of hope that's not the case because I want her mind to be her own. I mean, her mind can still be her own, but they're connected at this deep, deep magical level where as June solves his psyche problems, it literally changes her psyche a bit. And she actually literally was asexual at first because June was so hung up on sex. And now that he's not, she's less so. I like the idea. I, I'm i trying to think of evidence for or against. And the thing that come, jumps out at me is his uh, his heart to heart with Grack um, when they're doing the gold ritual in his, in his whatever abandoned or his whatever the yeah, it's not a, it's not a mine. It's a tomb. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, June clearly wasn't suicidal at the time, you know, he'd been over that, but it was his yeah. reaching out to Greg that like helped. Right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like, well, I'm better. So now you're better because of the direct causal relationship. Yeah, no, there, there had to be more to it. Yeah. Well, that's, Something to keep our eye on, but I want to get through this bit with Palada, so um, <laughs> okay. I want to get through it kind of as fast as possible because she made me uncomfortable. So, <laughs> all right, I I thought this was fantastic. No, she, so. she, she she's she went from awesome to utterly fucked up in about two seconds. <laughs> so June goes back to Amaryllis. He sees twelve year old Palada there, and it takes him like a second. But as soon as he realizes there's a twelve year old Renaissance, he's like, "Oh my god, it's Palada." And uh, she greets him by his name. He's like, what the? How is she remembering me? And she's like, yeah, no, no, I, I don't remember you at all. But I kept a journal. Got all caught up. It said you were a dillweed. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh, so you're a brat. I get it. She's like, fuck off, old man. I know you love me. It said so in the journal. <laughs> <laughs> and like, she became my favorite character with, with this little interaction. And my comment was, can't wait to see the awesome shenanigans she gets up to. And the very next line after I went back from making that comment was, ever had your dick sucked by a 12-year-old? I was like, oh my god! Oh my god, what the fuck? And Amaryllis kicks her out of the room, and Palda goes, you're not my real mom. (laughs) Like, I thought that was super fucked up and also utterly hilarious. And I, wow, this is like some great characterization, and the whole thing is like, I, I, I... I feel kind of on edge because having this kind of 12 year old around is it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a whole thing. It's going to be scary. It's going to be like socially not great. I'm, I'm waiting to see what's going to happen, but I'm also excited about it. And I think I'm going to love her. She's dead meat. Yeah, I think so. But I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But I, no, I, I, I'm with you on the whole roller coaster. Um, You know, it, what's funny is I think Palada is actually the kind of person to put in her journal to herself that June loved her, even though she didn't think it was true just to fuck with her younger self. Right. Oh man. She's, she's 30,000 she... and change years old. She's got to play pranks on herself. Right. <laughs> right. Like, like uh Harry, the first time he has a time turner. Right. Except she gets to have a time turner every, every uh, lifetime. Every lifetime. Yeah. And or uh, maybe, maybe, Palada really did think that June was, you know, kind of loved her, not like loved in love with her, but, you know, kind of like a camaraderie sort of fellow knight of the round table love. Could be. Um, And then the line, you're not my real mom, was like, she wasn't there for the you're not my real dad thing with the DM, I don't think. Oh, wait, maybe she was, but this one wasn't. Yeah. So that's true. She wouldn't have those memories yet. Unless older her put it in the journal. Um, and that was just, you know, an original palette line and it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. It was exactly as funny as it was when June said the DM's not my real dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think I, you know, June's, uh, uh, takeaway with it is basically perfect for me. It's like, all right, well, you know, 
Hopefully she gets her shit. If she, if she keeps that up, I'm going to throw her into a time chamber until she gets her shit together. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which uh, I, I, is kind of torture, kind of like Black Mirror, but. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. It's, it wouldn't be, he wouldn't do it that exactly that mean, you know? I really hope not. I, I hope not either, but it, so I'll put it this way. I think if she stays this way and she's this ridiculous, I don't think she'll last long making it the okay. Felsied exclusion zone. Okay. Uh, she'll either mature up physically and mentally or just mentally um, because there's, there's no way that she can walk through being this much of a dillweed and <laughs> not just make a great two second distraction while we run from some horror, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just, Oh no, you tripped. We'll run away. And <laughs> uh, Amarilla says that actually um, <laughs> she says most of that experience um, of her growing up, most of that experience is being fiercely independent and antisocial in a lot of ways. The Palda that we knew is a lot more mellowed out, and she wasn't particularly mellow. And I was like, yeah, no, no, she wasn't very mellow. This is going to be fucking epic. And honestly, I think I would read an entire series of Paladin Longstocking novels, because they would be so amazing to read. Well, you know, this is another opportunity for fanfiction. Hell to the yes. And, I mean, the, the fanfiction with her is, you know, unlimited, because she's been around since the dawn of time. Yeah, that's true. You know, you could have a whole novelette devoted to like when she was alive, the handful of times Nuther was around, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you could have Paladin, the time of the dinosaurs. I don't know if Arab had dinosaurs. Damn it. They had dinosaurs, Steven. They might have had something. Well, the thing is, I remember how remarkable that was when she was like, oh, yeah, we were there when the place was made 30 something thousand years ago. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, this is proof positive that this world was invented if anyone here doubted it, right? Mm-hmm, no mm-hmm. one no one was here when Earth was made. That's not how it works. Well, uh, also, people don't believe them, though. Or a lot of people don't, she said. She's like, yeah, I saw it. But there's noobs out there that don't believe us when we say we saw it. The, well, I mean, there just must be, I don't know, either they're, the Renaissance evidence isn't compelling or like their stories don't match up or, or people are just don't want to believe it. Um, I mean, their only evidence is I said so, right? Yeah, but if they, if you got to poll a bunch of them independently, you know? Yeah, maybe. But the Renaissance, they had 30,000 years to get their story straight. I guess. Yeah. You can't rule out that they conspired. Mm. All right. Where are we? <laughs> we are talking about Pallida and the fact that she's 12, even though she's only been dead for a few months. Uh And yeah, Emerald says, I found the person she was pregnant with and threw her in the time chamber, aged her up. Um Emma says, we didn't specifically, we meaning her and Palada back when Palada was an adult, we didn't specifically talk about aging her up again if she were to die on us. But I talked with her enough to know that she wouldn't do terribly well in the kind of environment I could provide for her, even taking her unique quirks into account. She did want to help, though. She was on the wrong side when we first met, and once she figured that out, she was eager to make up for it. We can talk about this more, but what's done is done. And, like, I, I want your your opinion on this. Did did was the thing that Amaryllis did here unethical? Because it sounds like she knew Palda was not going to do well in that facility during her key formative years, but she did it anyway because it would be useful to have Palada. It's for the greater good, Inyash. If it pays right. off, then then of course it was the right thing. Um, uh. No, <laughs> um, for real, I I always say I don't know. Um, I, I think I'd rather be cognitively tormented for a bit if it meant I could fast track my way to being the person I wanted to be, like slash could be, and if I mm-hmm. like could be helpful again. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Amaryllis could have been making an educated guess about what Palada would have wanted, 
And just like every other child, it's like, I don't want to eat my vegetables. I want to eat ice cream and I don't want to get vaccinated. I, you know, they're uncomfortable. Like um, you just say, shut up and do what I say. Yeah. Um, good point. Yeah. Emeralds was very much just taking the parent role here. And lots of times you do got to do things that kids are going to hate to make them have a better future. And like speaking of her taking the direct parenting role, I don't know. Maybe they'll say this. Maybe they, maybe it didn't happen. Um, but Emeralds could very well have put a clone in the time chamber to oversee everything for those 20 oh. years. And I was thinking about that. And like, that is exactly the kind of thing that she would have done. She wouldn't have been able to sync with the clone though. That clone would have been 12 years divergent from her. Yeah. So, well, I think that that would probably be part of the plan. That clone would have had a miserable 12 years, you know, monotonous, uh, whatever, you know, all the, all the reasons that we thought this might suck. Right. Yeah. And so they probably would have both pre-committed to not merging. Huh. And so then that way, you know, prime Amaryllis wouldn't have had to endure those several years of crushing boredom. That also means that now their clone Amaryllis is basically just her own different person and they're never going to merge. So she has a, does she just have her own life now? I mean, I set her free. I, in my hypothetical. Well, yeah, I guess in your hypothetical, uh, in my hypothetical, when they open the time chamber, this one probably just killed itself. Um, but then all the clones would die because that's the thing. If one of them dies, they all die. Oh, you're right. I forgot that's about that. In the ass. Um, I mean, maybe it's worth the sacrifice for not having to have a new Amaryllis running around that can't be synced with. No, they would have, that would have come up at then at, by, at this point. Um, if would that, it? maybe I, it's a thing she wouldn't want to tell June because of his, you know, silly Midwestern morals. Well, I mean, just the fact that all the Amaryllis clones popped. Oh yeah. June probably would have noticed that. Yeah. Or would he maybe like he got a 36 hour blowjob or something. Right. Prime just like really cut. That's why she wanted to bed him so much. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't, I don't think that's it, but um, no, I think uh, like, uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose, you know, there's actually no reason for uh, whatever this hypothetical 12 year age Damarillas to have to die. Right. Like I figured she'd want to, cause it was boring, but then it's like, no, now I'm out. I can help continue the project. Right. She is actually just that stoic. We watched her do it for an entire lifetime in the Cypress timeline. That's true. So, God, she's metal as fuck. Wow. Uh, and this, like, the thing is, I'm, I'm making this up and guessing, but like, the sounds totally like her, and so I'm giving her credit for it anyway, even if she didn't do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I have nothing else. Did you have another thing? Uh, just the last bit leading us into the, the next reading, which was uh, June saying, from what little I saw of her, I'll probably be wishing for her death within a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And then he realized, as he said it, and Amarillo's quirks an eyebrow. He says, we don't have a few weeks. Mm. And she says, based on the provisional schedule, we're planning a trip through the Felicite Exclusion Zone three days from now. Oh, yeah. So I'm trying to think of what else he has to wrap up. Like, he hasn't visited his hometown yet, but he did visit Tiff, which is the primary reason. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen his dad, but like, is there a point? We don't know if they had any stuff worth closing there. Um, I'm actually trying to think of any other loops. I guess I should look at his quest list, but I don't have the good one in front of me. Um I happen to know the name of the next chapter because I was reading through, right? And it's the Felseed Incident. Yes. So before we get to the Felseed Incident, I did want to ask you, I guess, what do you think? You got to have some thoughts about the Felseed Incident, like what it might be. What are you expecting? Give me a brain dump on what you think of the Felseed Incident up to this point. I wish I had something interesting to give here because this would be probably like a really fun speculating opportunity. And I did try to think about stuff this week. Uh, or like after I saw the chapter title and, you know, I've been thinking about it for the last 220 something chapters. Part of me was thinking that this will just be like 
a noodle incident that they never elaborate on. Mm-hmm. It was the you know the thing that happened. We're not going to explain it because nothing could live up to your expectation, and we'll just let it stay vague. Um, yeah. The fact that we're getting a chapter of it, so that was the revelation that I got this week. So that means that we are going to get one. And like, I think Felsey came up in like chapter two or three. You know, he's like looking through. He sees the calendar in mm-hmm. comfort. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I hope they don't have a fell seed. And it's like, okay, so this has been a thing for a long time. Yeah. So I remember we talked about this before. It definitely happened after Arthur died. Mm-hmm. So it was angsty June. Um, I'm trying to think of everything that we know about it. And so maybe it's just that timeline. Um, sorry for the chair noises. The, uh, I mean, the main thing I can remember about it is that like he felt it was his lowest point with his friends and that he lost some friendships over it. It's surprising because i thought he would have lost his friendships like being a dick like uh, in real life um you know if he cheated at a game which he did we know that felzy cheats right Mm -hmm. so you know they're playing and i don't know what his like little cardboard shield that he has his notes and his dice behind falls down and they see that he's been fudging his numbers or something um or maybe rain recalls him out in his bullshit he's like there's no fucking way give me that and he's like you lying sack of shit um or something like that. But even that's not friendship ruining. That's just like, man, that was a stupid night. Screw you. So it had to have been worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought about like back when there was the concern that Arthur became Felseed or Uther did that like June brought in Arthur into the game. Right. Mm-hmm. And was like, yeah. uh, now you have making, to kill the corpse of your friend. Right. Making everyone super uncomfortable. Uh-huh. But if that was the case, he would have been looking at the Felsey exclusion zone as where Arthur obviously is the whole time. Yeah. Um, and he hasn't been thinking about that because he thinks he's in this portal to earth. So man, I, like I said, I don't know. Like I thought it was just going to be like the thing where it's like, you know, the incident with the science experiment mm-hmm. for method of rationality. They never tell us which one yeah. it is. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any leading questions or maybe you remember any of your hypotheses? I do remember my specific thing and it wasn't even, when we got to the Feldseed incident, it was, I don't know, it was at some point reading up to this many chapters ago where I started thinking, all right, we've heard about the Feldseed incident so much that we have to see it at some point. Like, it's pivotal enough that it can't be left off screen entirely, like like a science experiment incident or a noodle incident. It has to come up. But also, like, at this point, we've seen, like, close to genocides. We, we've seen cold-blooded murders we've seen torture we've seen june being raped like all of those things are just so bad that we we already know he didn't kill anyone back on earth i'm assuming he didn't rape anyone he thinks the worst thing that he did was have sex with maddie and she wasn't that into it like i i just i felt like whatever the felsey incident is it's gonna be i was worried that it was gonna be underwhelming because I'm like, I trust in Alexander Wales. I'm sure he can do this, but I just don't see how he can possibly make something happen in a tabletop role-playing game that is that is as bad as what we've read already that'll affect us because we've just seen so much worse already. And then like when you brought up maybe Arthur or Uther, Arthur's character is pulled in and like they have to kill him and the Arthur character just keeps taunting them, saying horrible things about his friends and what they do in real life. And June's just shitting all over the the memory of their friendship with Arthur. That I could maybe see really putting a strain on their relationship and really fucking things over for June. But like you said, then June would have thought that Felseed was Uther this whole time, and he didn't think that. So it's not that necessarily. Like, what what could it possibly 
be? Like, I was thinking, I don't know, does he make their characters rape other people when their minds get taken over or something? Even that, it's still, it's a game. It's not like something he did in real life. So I just, I was worried that the whole thing would be underwhelming in the end because we've just seen so much worse on Airball already. I think I'm not going into it with the expectation that it's going to have to be like the worst thing we've seen. Um, I'm kind of hoping it's not because uh, I know Alexander can get very creative in that department. Um, uh, we'll we'll plug his Christmas story uh, next time it's the holiday season. And uh, <laughs> nope, not going to plug it. <laughs> um, the, we can plug it in Holloway in in a Halloween season, but not the Christmas season. I very, like Christmas very well. Um, the last Christmas. Uh, so yeah, I think you know he could be saying, "Oh, and Raymer, your character now, you know, whatever skull fucks this orc or something, right?" Like, I don't think it's that because the characters get to do what they want. I think maybe if it is going that way, I was thinking like, "Oh, nope, he caught you, and now I'm going to describe it in gruesome detail what happens," and they're gonna be like, "Dude, stop! That's fucking gross," and he won't like he he won't lay off it, right? Because mm-hmm. we know that this place, you know, the city of a thousand brides and we get the feeling that they weren't all eager to marry him. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's my, that's my current guess. Like, like I said, I, I doesn't, for me, it doesn't have to be like the, the worst thing. I'm trying to think of like some of the worst things, you know, like the hell stuff. Um, mm-hmm. what else has been really bad on air? Uh, Val living in a cage. I mean, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be the worst thing we've seen so far. It just has to be the, the straw that broke the camel's back with his friendships. So I'm assuming mm, that's a good point. Some personal attacks on his friends, like as people directed at their characters. Oh, if that's the case, then this place will suck a lot worse than just like being full of some whatever upside down style fungus, you know, yeah. uh, if it's there to like rip them apart as people, not not yeah. rip them limb from limb, but like, you know, point out their inadequacies and make them feel self-conscious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in a not funny way, then uh, that could be bad. I can't tell by your lack of laughter if you're just maintaining a good poker face or if you're like, <laughs> Steven's going to feel bad that he made a bunch of jokes. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm I, just curious as to, like, I already know what's coming. I'm trying to compare and contrast. And yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to this next episode of ours. Man, it's a bummer because I feel like my answer isn't that engaging. And, you know, I... Like I remember I asked Brian, you know, the final exam, what would he do? And I gave him the week to think about it and stuff. And his his answer was something like, I don't know, get Voldemort away from there and like try and talk with him and be like, look, no, it makes more sense if we pair up, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I think it's a fine guess to come up with on your own, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any any individual that came up with the with the partial transfiguration thing, like that's, as Yudkowsky even said, like that almost wasn't even fair. That's not really what he wanted to do with it, but he was backed into a corner. Yeah. Um, so... Anyway, I feel like his answer might not have been that satisfying, though. And now I feel like I'm doing that same thing. But, you know, uh, I th- honestly, I think you're doing a perfectly adequate job, especially considering or adequate is a bad word. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Good. OK, OK. Um, especially considering, like, we don't really know shit about it at all, except for that it happened on Earth and it ended some of his friendships during his lowest time. And uh, I mean, th- th- there's not all that much to speculate on. So, yeah, I-, I think you did a darn good job. Well, thanks. Yeah, we know it's a big deal. That he's been worried about it for a while, which is to say forever, and uh, that he cheats. Yeah, I think that'll be a key component to it. Like, you know, if uh, man, you well, I guess I'll read the chapter immediately after you finish recording, and then tell you whether or not you have to keep reading or watching Berserk. Um, 
But if it all if it all goes super sideways like Berserk did, and uh, then they're all like, you know, this is terrible, and then they find out that he cheated, I can see how that pissed them off. So you're telling me this wasn't even like you telling a story, this was you just fucking with us? Fuck you. Um, but yeah, all right, man. I I can't think of anything else. I think we I got to just get there. All right. Well, to get there, we will read the next three chapters. Those are 228, The Felseed Incident, 229, The Road, and 230, The Palace. Huh. Oh, well, I guess I'm guessing The Road and The Palace are both in the Felseed Exclusion Zone. Man, if we're getting, like, if this isn't just like the incident, you know, leading up in the three days and they're going to still do more stuff, um, if we're going into the end zone right now, man, that's exciting. Hmm. Is it cheating if I ask how many chapters we have left? Or should I not know that? I guess you um, didn't get to know that, did you? I did not know how many there would be left All right, no, yeah, then at I, this point. I guess I don't get to know either. All right. All right. Well, man, I'm excited. I hope you are. Uh, I am. Oh, boy. All right. Well, <laughs> I hope everyone is. Um, this is great. I had fun. Looking forward to it. Uh, what do we usually say? Um, if you guys are also having fun, then please support Alexander Wales at his Patreon or buy his stuff or support us at our Patreon and links to all of those things can be found in the show notes. That's a good way of putting it. And another shout out to Alexander. Thanks for, I tried to rip off that thing from we've got worm, but never got around to like making a script. So I try to change it up every time Mm, I would say this is his world. We're just playing in it, but I'd say this is his game. We're just playing it. That's what I was going for, but. You've generally done that or a, a variation of it, and I thought they've been very good all the times. Well, I appreciate that. We just passed the three-hour mark, so I get to do, I get to go completely incomprehensible. So we should just call <laughs> it. But see y'all next week, and I hope we all make it through the Felsied incident. Me too. Bye. And then my comment is comment here because shit, I was going to add a comment later. And and now, um, do, do you have a comment on this while I try to remember my comment?